Space Podcast. Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESOAmazon. Or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out TangiboundNetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains, you can do it. You can do it. Check it out. TangiboundNetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, from DC to Marvel and beyond, Josh Peterson and I take a detailed look at what took place this past weekend at Comic-Con. We'll also weigh in with our thoughts on why Dunkirk hit it big at this weekend's box office. Plus, we'll also have the folks from the TV Ratings Guide as they stop by with opinions on what went on this summer in television. A clip from the latest Super BS Gamescast and another hit song from Plasma Z. It's a superhero convention full of podcasting villains we fight off today as we once again delve into... The Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another edition of the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Joe Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here back once again with my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend from Humanica Media. It's Josh Peterson. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Just uh, keeping busy, doing some podcasts, watching Comic-Con stuff, you know. And there's a ton of news to go around when it comes to Comic-Con, isn't it? It is truly the the pop culture center of the universe. Right. A lot of, uh, a lot of unexpected things coming out of Comic-Con this year. And I would have to say, I think Marvel kind of won Comic-Con. Which is truly surprising because I know we couldn't really get together on Friday for the Friday show at length to talk uh, some serious issues, but I wanted to talk D23 versus Comic-Con, and I was going to say how D23 was maybe taking a little bit out of the the bite out of Comic-Con itself, especially since Star Wars wasn't really there in mass per se, but... 
I tell you what, the news was flowing. And if you missed any of the news at all, check out our Facebook or Twitter feed, Pop Culture Cosmos. I'm telling you right now, there I, I po- must have posted at least three, four, or five dozen stories on actual Comic-Con news that, that came out during the period of Thursday, Friday, Saturday that was there. It's just, just it was so amazing. It was almost like what happens around the time of the press conferences at E3 when uh, on the game source Facebook and Twitter feed where I'm just posting stories for stories for news, 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 items, items, items that everybody needs should be uh, familiar with or should you know would want to know about. And in this case, it all came from uh, comic-con and all the pop culture items is truly just one right after other and another and another but it's truly awesome for pop culture fans indeed and and josh i'll tell you what have you been able to get a chance to catch up yet with everything going on at comic-con this past weekend yeah i've been watching stuff as it's come out and been in the news well i'm going to get your thoughts on some of the comic book news as we go along and i first want to start off with the comic book giant themselves dc because I know you were talking about how you know things were lined up as far as Marvel winning the weekend, but DC didn't do a bad job themselves. Uh, obviously, the first and foremost thing that we want to talk about is Justice League, the movie trailer that came out this past weekend. They released another one, and I'll tell you what, coming off the heels of a pretty good and pretty solid initial trailer, this seems to be uh, you know, continuing that basis, obviously focusing on the good stuff that's going on in DC with Wonder Woman. And so they paid a lot of attention to her and her character, which is obviously right now not a bad thing at all to do. And, and also the introduction of Steppenwolf as a, you know, the character and the antagonist in the movie that will face off against the Justice League. So what are your thoughts initially on what you saw with the trailer and Steppenwolf as a character that will be facing off against the Justice League. It looks good. I, I'm concerned. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm a hundred percent concerned, but there's a little bit of concern just because they have a history of like with Batman versus Superman, when they showed that it's like a four or five minute trailer, the, that one comic con, they pretty much showed the entire movie or all the, the action scenes at least. So that's my, you know, that's, concerns me a little bit that maybe they did that for justice league but at the same time they did a good job of showing that dynamic between characters and uh i was telling someone this this weekend that it a lot of the care a lot of like the characters in the dc universe they have they pretty much have the same exact power so it's i like the camera work because they have to be clever with like their camera angles and how they film things to kind of differentiate between like Wonder Woman and Superman and uh, Aquaman because they can all, you know, they're, they're essentially they're, they're all super strong. So you have to kind of give them character and that's up to the director and the cameraman to do that. And I think they, they did a pretty good job. And I also like how, you know, this, this is one thing I think that Marvel can probably take notes on, assuming that Justice League is good, is how to make a movie feel to keep a movie lighthearted, but still have be able to have like those darker moments that occur, which is something I'm hoping that they Marvel might approach with Spider Man soon. But who, who's to say, man? But yeah, uh, it, it looks good. I've I'm excited. I'm I'm more curious to see how they're going to make Aquaman and uh, and the Flash kind of bring them into the fold. Well, that's something I wanted to ask you about because they also now announced a a 
continuous slate of films, but there's still several gaps. They still have all these movies that they want to come out with in, well, actually by the end of the decade here, which is rapidly approaching. Uh, you know, I, from what I've got a good read on, they, they were talking about movies like Bad Girl, Shazam, Aquaman, Flash, which I guess is called Flashpoint, Cyborg, Gotham City Sirens, Suicide Squad 2, Man of Steel 2, possibly. And because and, and, we, you know, from all instances, it looks like Superman's coming back in the Justice League. I think that's pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point. Yeah. Uh, did you notice, though, they showed uh, Alfred, they, they're kind of alluding to that being Superman, but they also showed Supergirl's cape in the, in the trailer. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well. I, that's the speculation online that that could be happening. So definitely some some good things indeed. And then, of course, the biggest thing in regards to that slate of films was initially not counting in the Batman, which is, I guess was the working title. And that led to a heavy, heavy speculation on Thursday and Friday that Ben Affleck would not be returning to the role. But on Saturday during the DC panel, he said he loves Batman. He's excited to work with Matt Reeves on a future Batman movie. That they're calling it, I guess, for all intents and purposes, the Batman from this point forward, and that it will be coming out again before 2020 at some point in time. So it looks like, as of right now, it's a go. And, and you know, Ben Affleck said that he was happy to be Batman, and that he wants to be Batman for as long Warner as long as Warner Brother wants him to be in the role. So it looks like going forward that they're going to have Batman. And I think for continuity's sake, especially if they want to do another Justice League 2, which was also, I believe, talked about in that upcoming slate of films, I would think, for all intents and purposes, that they would have to keep him within the role. What, do you, what are your thoughts on Ben Affleck and the whole Batman scenario going on this weekend? First, uh, you were talking about films. You know what really bummed me out about their slate of films that they announced? What was that? I want to know more about Justice League Dark. I was hoping they'd talk some more about that, but that's kind of been put on the uh, so far down on the back burner that I think it's just kind of sizzled away. It looks like it has. You know what I think may have done it for them is, is the performance of the mummy. And, you know, they're obviously the, the monster universe that we had talked about Universal trying to create. Maybe that might have set things off as far as something they would want to do. Maybe down the road as a movie or maybe even do something in a different fashion present it in a different fashion so to speak so maybe that that might have been the case just just speculation on my part of course yeah yeah i mean that's that's possible there are like characters like constantine though and like swamp thing they do have a very heavy following so it's you know if that's after even after like the popularity of the animated Justice League Dark movie, you'd think that they'd want to move in on that pretty quick. But but I would tell you, you know, Constantine the 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 movie did okay, the TV series did not do okay. Swamp Thing was a as a nice cult hit back in the eighties, so I'm not as confident on that fan base following as you are as far that will follow it straight to the movies and then maybe bringing the Justice League Dark universe to to greater heights at the box office. But uh, I would like to see it personally, but I'm not convinced. And you haven't convinced me that there's there's a, a strong enough following to support it at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, the, the show did have a cult following. I just think that it needs to be done right. Like, they need to do the character justice, which I don't think has been 
done very well. And as far as like Keanu Reeves' version of it, I don't think that that was an accurate portrayal of the character. But I digress. Uh, back to Batman. Uh, yeah, I, I. It was weird because when they announced that, I originally thought that I was like. There, everyone's talking about how they're going to transition Ben Affleck out. And I was like, yeah, they're going to do uh, Batman Beyond. They're going to kick Ben Affleck out and bring in Terry McGinnis. It's not going to be Bruce Wayne anymore. That would be legit. But, um, yeah, that was the uh, – then I, I heard about Flashpoint, and then I kind of was able to put two and two together. But it's – I would like to see that. Like, that sounds interesting to me to have Jeffrey Dean Morgan because he played um, Thomas Wayne in uh, – that's correct. Yeah, and so in the I don't know if you've read the Flashpoint comics, but in the comics, uh, the the Flash goes back and he saves his mom, and in doing so, he creates this ripple effect throughout the timeline. And instead of Bat uh, Bruce becoming Batman, and uh, he Bruce ends up getting murdered that night, that night that Thomas and uh, Martha were supposed to get murdered. So Thomas becomes Batman, and Martha becomes the Joker. So it's kind of an interesting an interesting thing. And uh, it's like the Thomas Wayne is like this ultimate super violent Batman. So, well, well, it, it, it's going to be a dark, a super dark movie. Like it. No and he can what. actually be very super violent as fans of the walking dead can attest to. Oh yeah, for sure. But it's yeah. The, the flat, if they're going to do flashpoint, like it has to, it, hopefully it's, it's going to be the, uh, the movie that, fans want to see instead of not hopefully they don't try to what i'm saying hopefully they don't try to tiptoe around like all the uh the dark the darkness and the violence that kind of circulates through that comic book well that's definitely something to look forward to i actually kind of like the the angle that they're approaching with flash in the justice league film that he really has never been in combat so he's very afraid that he would not not afraid of the battle itself, but it seems like he's afraid of letting everyone down and letting all of his fellow superheroes down. I get that sense from the from the trailer. Is that what you get, or is there something different? Yeah, well, I get this feeling like he he's not. It's not like Spider Man. House uh, Peter Parker in the movie. He wants to. He really wants to be a superhero. I think like with the Flash, it's he he doesn't he's not trying to prove anything to anyone but he just doesn't know what he as much as he just doesn't know what he's doing yes yes uh, i i hear you absolutely and uh just it looks like though that that at least the dc set is is somewhat on course i know they also talked about their comic books with superman year 1 that's it can become a, a series with Frank Miller returning to write that. Uh, you're familiar with his work being our comic book man and know. Does this excite you in any way as far as getting back into the Superman comic books? Yeah, it's always exciting when Frank Miller does a new series. The, the question is like how how tired are the readers of these stories? Like I think that it's weird because I think that Frank Miller should have his own universe. I think that uh, the Frank Miller universe should be able to stay together. Like all that stuff, everything he's done needs to have it needs to not be canon to the, the uh, normal DC timeline because it, it's a lot of these stories just get beat to death. And then even when Frank Miller comes and does something good with it, it just, it kind of gets overlooked. So my um, I'm, I'm excited about it and I hope that people read it. I, it's enough to make me want to go back and read it. But uh 
right now I'm just not in any hurry to pick up comic books so I'm getting kind of burnt out on these stories just being rehashed over and over again. But it's a little change of pace indeed for for the DC comic book scene. Uh, just basically, I think they presented themselves pretty, you know, they, they presented themselves well at Comic-Con. Uh, definitely was a surprise to me because, you know, on the heels of, of Wonder Woman doing so well, I was I was expecting kind of a downturn as far as we're in a negative fashion because DC has just never been, and Warner Brothers have never been able to stay on the right track when it comes to their film set. But it looks like that they have somewhat of a plan in place. And if they're not going to get you with quality, they're certainly going to hit you up with quantity as far as the number of films that they have, at least on the slate and in the planning stages so far. So they've got a ton of films that they plan on trying to come out with by 2020. So if, if you haven't had your fill of comic book movies, well, you're certainly going to get your fill and then some over the next few years. Now, we can't talk about comic book films without talking about marvel and we're going to do so but first we got a great show like i said lined up for you today we've got the, the great folks from the tv ratings guide jessica boggs and also bridger cunningham stopping by on the show to talk some some of the summer programming and some thoughts on the tv scene as well we also got a sample from the super bs games cast and then also as well why dunkirk performed so well at the box office this weekend it's going to be another great episode indeed but first we're going to play dj plasma z and this is junkyard nomads and this is the pop culture cosmos yeah yeah
You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmos show and the PCC Multiverse. I would say Rogue One has a more worn feel. And I love it for that because it looks a lot like New Hope where everything isn't shiny and plastic like the Star Trek films. We always talk about timelines and the franchises that we love. And now it's kind of like, okay, now we're going to do a Han story. Now we're going to do Obi-Wan story. People do still like to go into movies and watch things that are different. Watch things that are not related to superhero franchises. With him, you might get the Russell West. Kevin Durant leaves and he goes, I'm not going anywhere, this is my team, finally up it for the long haul. If you're into like very strategic style games and the co-op games in general, it's a highly recommended game overall. And it's a sense of depth and personality that would escalate fighting games to a higher degree. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse, every week on the Podcast Radio Network and Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. And we're back with Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here along with my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media. It's Josh Peterson. If you are by chance not able to check us out on the podcast radio network where we've been number one with this show five months in a row, and it's all because of you and we truly appreciate you listening, then you can always catch us on our Pop Culture Cosmos download channels which are all over the internet they're on your your favorite downloading stations including itunes tune in the ace podcast network overcast.fm player.fm it's on google play it's on stitcher it's on podcast.com mixcloud the eso network the tangent network and the gunny geek network as well and also popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, our home site. And if you download or stream on one of those outlets, our show, or the PCC Multiverse, we try very hard to add on some free extra content, including extra bonus podcasts from time to time just for listening. Well, Josh, you said that Marvel won the day when it came out to you know, what took place at Comic-Con because while DC did very well in the afternoon on Saturday, Marvel really stunned the crowd with a lot of great news going forward as well for, for all things Marvel. And first off, I want to get your thoughts on what you think about Thor Ragnarok. It, it not only showed that what, what they had been talking about with that, the buddy film that they had been, you know, alluding to with the Hulk and Thor, but also as well, just talked about a little bit more about who is teaming up against the bad guys this time around. I know it's Thor, Valkyrie, uh, Hulk, and Loki. I like that whole line when he said, I'm, I'm putting a team together because it kind of reminded me of um, the Justice League. Like I felt like they are kind of taking a jab at the Justice League. Ah, uh, okay. It sounded to me more like a Nick Fury line, but uh, I understand what you're saying. Yep, definitely. Uh, your thoughts on the actual trailer itself? Do you think it's something that this really good? It had a really nice '70s vibe to it, from what I was seeing, and, and it really had just like a, a good old school feel to it, almost like a Flash Gordon type feel to it. Yeah, it's funny. I've actually heard that comparison several times today, and that, that I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's great. Uh, I think that this movie is going to be a genuinely fun Thor movie. Like it's, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, how the, the last two Thors kind of failed to gain traction with people. I think that this Thor is going to be... 
I I, I'm one of those people it hasn't gained traction with. Yeah, yeah. The second one's better than the first one, though. Let's 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 just call it that. But the, I don't know if I would call it that, but I'll have to check my rankings, which you can also see on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Yeah, Um but yeah, so I I think it's 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 gonna be a genuinely fun movie. It's got a uh, I, I like that whole because if you go back and look at Avengers and you ask people like who their favorite characters in the movie were, a lot of people like the dynamic between Hulk and Thor. Just the I, uh, I know I'm one of them, I, and I really yeah. like what I see out of Thor Ragnarok. And I think that they were really stupid to wait this long to explore that dynamic because. Uh, it makes sense that they're doing it though, just because they Universal is still um, holding on to the rights to a solo Hulk film, which makes things difficult for Marvel. But yeah, it's it, it's because Thor Ragnarok is one of the I think it was um, like the last time they did this storyline in the comics was in Avengers Disassembled, and that was like 15, 16 years ago, I think. So the uh you know i've i've always wanted to know what that would look like on screen i think that this is going to be a really cool movie and i'm excited to see like i like how this uh this iteration of thor is kind of lining up with with the unworthy thor like the new one that they got right now how he, he loses his hammer he's just he he's just kind of floating around doing his thing and he's he's uh as he said he was on a journey of self-discovery yeah, he's kind of like he's not for a, a day, for a day, mind you. Yeah, yeah. So he's not quite like the hero he used to be, but he's still, uh, you know, he's still doing his thing. So that's that's what we want to see. But yeah, I like the whole like the buddy cop dynamic with Loki and uh, the Hulk, and I'm curious to see how Doctor Strange is going to play and where that's going to lead, uh, and how Thor ends up just floating through space in the end. Because I don't know if you saw the leaked uh, Infinity War footage. Uh, just a little bit out of a side side view where I had to turn my head in like an at 90 degree angle like this because someone if you okay uh, note to people that are trying to pirate the stuff out there could you please try and straighten out your video device so that people do not have to go ahead and see it at a diagonal low bottom of the left hand screen please yeah, so I think they're trying to hide it because you can kind of see the lady's head that's kind of sitting in, sitting in front of them. Yeah, right, like, like what we were trying to do at E3 when they're showing that God of War panel. We we're kind of trying to sneak the camera up there. Exactly. <laughs> I'm excited to watch it. I've, I've, I'm a huge Thor fan, but like this looks like it's a mixture of like what you'd expect from Thor and like the lighthearted moments of an Avengers film mixed with. I think there's a lot of pages taken from the playbook of James Gunn here is, is what it's kind of looking like. So I, I agree with that as well. But I also heard that Hulk has been in Hulk mode for two years, actually since the events of Age of Ultron. Is well, that correct? Yeah, you see in the trailer, they have that part where they're actually like talking. The Hulk is actually becoming intelligent. And I, I don't know what that's about. Like I've, that, I've never seen that before. I know in Planet Hulk, he kind of has that and then it kind of carries on into uh scar his his uh the son of hulk so yeah i i think that there's a there's a character there there's that has not been explored yet so that's also exciting to me because we get to see the hulk but we we've always just seen the hulk smash we haven't actually seen a side of the hulk that can think for himself uh definitely to something to look forward to indeed 
it, lo it looks like it's a lot of fun. And that's, that's something I haven't been able to say ever about a Thor movie uh, that I'm definitely looking forward to seeing uh, for the first time in a long time, I guess. You know, I have seen the other films in the theater, but I just, as I've told you, I've, I've not been impressed with them, but I'm definitely going to be looking forward to changing my mind when it comes out in November. Now, there's also some great stuff that they announced, including the new Marvel Legacy Collection with a lot of different stuff that they're going back to as far as the, you know, like you said, I know it's maybe a lot of rehashing for some, but maybe for some newer comic book fans, it's going to be a great way to get into a lot of series. One series that they didn't announce up front in the list was Captain America. And obviously the, the feedback that they've been getting from Secret Empire as far as him going rogue and him becoming a a leader of Hydra, you know, has not gone over well sales-wise. It might have, but it's not going gone over well with with certain segment of the audience, myself included. But it looks like with with new writers coming in after the Secret Empire phases itself out, that he will be going back to a new Captain America series, and that he will be going back to the the, the Cap that we we all know and remember. So that's that's a good sign for there, indeed, for for people hoping out for that. About Captain America, I know this series. They're talking about how they they want to recapture audiences or readers to enjoy Captain America. So I guess he's, the comic book revolves around him touring the country, doing good deeds for people. But let me ask you this: Do you think that they have tarnished Captain America so much that it's going? Do you think it's going to be an easy road for people to? I don't think it will be. Uh, I personally, at least, not in the near future maybe in the long term, but they have to associate it more with Chris Evans as Captain America. I think if they are going to be able to do it, I think they're going to have to basically associate it with Chris Evans' uh, character in the films because Chris Evans' character is on the straight and narrow. And when he does things, he does things because he feels he's right. And, and uh, obviously he's indicated publicly that he's not like the turn that's taken place in the comic book Captain America world and and I think if they are going to be able to successfully transfer that back to to people's face in Captain America a it's going to take a while and b I think they would have to do it associating more with the, with the Chris Evans version but that's that's Did just my feel though that they they took a piece of the Secret Wars comic uh, Captain America and put it into Infinity Wars when he shows up with the beard yes yes that that part yes but that but, but that but that's uh, the Nomad version, I should say, of Captain America. I mean, that version of him is a good version of Captain America, correct, in The Secret Empire. Right, right. So it's just there. I think because Marvel kept saying, they're like, or everyone kept saying, Marvel has a plan. They know what they're doing. But I don't think that the payoff was worth the sacrifice that Marvel made to, uh, to stir some controversy. No, I don't think it was worth it indeed, at least to do it to Captain America. I think for shock value, I think it was you know a, a nice short-term hit for them, but obviously in the long term, it's, it hasn't paid off well at all. And so obviously them announcing that he's going to revert back to the Captain America we all know and admire, uh, maybe you know trying to put out the fire after after it's already burned down the house, but... At this point, you know they—that's what they got to do, I think, in order to try and reinstate faith in comic book fans in Captain America. Uh, but that's just, you know, that's our opinion. But it looks like it's probably opinion of many others as well. Uh, but one thing they did talk about was Ant-Man and the Wasp, 
and the announcement that Michelle Pfeiffer is going to play the character Janet Van Dien, who uh, was already cast in the previous Ant-Man briefly, but it looks like they're going to expound on that even further going forward with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer because uh, I'm assuming because she's such an outstanding actress and a name, you know, a name that people can recognize uh, uh, as far as it's concerned. Correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, I, I imagine they're they're trying to get some more star power into that film. Paul Rudd is funny, but I don't think he's enough to uh, you know bring in uh, more more viewers. So I think that that's probably a smart move to try to bring in some more talent. I like the first Ant Man, but like it wasn't exactly didn't really have a lot of star power. Paul Rudd doesn't have the biggest following, if you know what I mean. No, I understand that. And obviously of the the Marvel films, of the more recent Marvel films, it is the least performing worldwide uh I believe uh of the you know, I'm not talking about the Captain America or the first Thor what not back in you know when Marvel was just starting to kick it into gear. I think it is of the more recent turns, aka 2013, 2014, moving on. It is, I believe, the lowest grossing, if I'm not mistaken. If not, it's close to it. So definitely, I don't think it has that that support behind it. But it seems like from Marvel, Ant-Man and the Wasp has a lot of support. Because you know, you and I both have championed uh, other avenues instead of Ant-Man and the Wasp, like a Black Widow film and whatnot, or a Hawkeye film. Something that is a little bit different that was still familiar with fans would would be uh, have been a better way to go in our opinion than Ant Man and the Wasp. But it, it is you know Paul Rudd is a great actor indeed and a very funny and but he does not seem to have that commercial wide appeal to bring Ant Man and the Wasp higher like Guardians of the Galaxy two did. But I think it was more the fact that it was Ant Man and that's not really a hero that people care too much about. I know uh, James Gunn totally flip those tables with Guardians of the Galaxy, but at the same time, like, look at the characters, though. Look at the characters, look at the cast of that movie, and then look at this one. You have Paul Rudd playing a man who shrinks. The movie was good, but it just is not the kind of thing that's going to bring in new fans, at least not to the theaters. They might wait till it hits, uh, you know, DVD, digital, Blu-ray, whatever, but it's not going to be a movie that's going to bring in high box office numbers. I couldn't agree with you more on that. So maybe just maybe just a, something that Marvel really likes to go ahead and, and advance storylines within. Then maybe that's why they they like uh, uh, Ant Man so much and Ant Man of the Wasp. Maybe does that for them indeed. Last thing on Marvel though, we touched on it briefly as we were looking off to the side like this. Uh, that's Infinity War. Infinity War was shown again. The trailer that has not been shown publicly uh, was shown again to audiences at Comic Con. And, and, you know, a lot of good vibes from it. People are really excited indeed over it. But one thing that was on display at D23 and also, I believe, as well, Comic-Con was the mentioning of Thanos' troops known as the Black Order. And I wanted to ask you, since you are our comic book man in the know, if you could enlighten us more about what will be taking place with Thanos' group known as the Black Order. Do you ever notice how Marvel has this obsession with kind of like their horsemen of the apocalypse? I agree with the X-Men after seeing that last year and whatnot with Apocalypse and all that. It's a theme that that they play heavily on, and I don't quite understand what the obsession is. But yeah, so the Black Order are basically... um, There are five in the comic books, but only four being used, correct? 
There's Black Dwarf, uh, Corpus Glaive, Ebony Maw, Prox Proxima Midnight, and Super Giant, who are are you know they're they're killed by very like in the comic books they always uh, you know meet their match at various obscure Marvel the hands of various obscure Marvel characters while trying to find the uh, the Infinity Stones which are being held by the Illuminati of Iron Man, Doctor Strange, whatnot, but. Yeah, these characters. I okay. This is how I think they're going to drag the movie into two parts. Is the first part is going to do a lot of like confrontation with these, with the Black Order, and then you know maybe it'll finally end with the beginnings of a fight, and then uh, it'll be in Infinity War Part Two, where we'll finally actually get to see like the aftermath or even the fight itself. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more on that. If you have thoughts on Marvel and DC and how they performed at Comic-Con, and you want to share some thoughts and some theories of what's going to be going on in both those universes. And also, do you approve of the list that, that DC's you know coming out with on all the films? Same thing with Marvel and all the films that, that we had talked about as well. Do you, do you like what's, what you're seeing out of both of those film universes? And then also the comic book series. Do you like that they're going back to the basics with Captain America and also with Superman as well? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanican Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back with Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate being back listening to us. And one last thing before we get out of our synopsis of what's going on and what went on at Comic-Con is all the great stuff that was not Marvel and DC related, which I guess is probably the biggest reason why it is still head and shoulders above what D23 can be because D23 does announce a lot of non-Marvel stuff, you know, relating to their, their films, the Pixar's. Uh, stuff that's going on and also Disney princesses and also stuff with their Disney theme parks and all that. But when you have all these other great pop culture, uh, iconic shows, movies that want to show off their trailers and whatnot. So I wanted to ask first, before I get into everything else uh, that went on that I want to be able to talk about, what was the non Marvel DC thing that stuck out to you most from this week's comic con? I got two actually. Stranger Things season two, and Rocco's Modern Life. I think I Hey Arnold is coming back in a movie form. I don't know about Rocco's Modern Life. I thought it was. Is it a movie or is it a TV show? I don't know. It's. I I just saw the trailer because I had no idea this was happening, and then I saw. Uh, I saw it too. I wasn't sure to make out if it was, was going to be it, but it is a, a, a you know it is coming back to audiences once again. Yeah, and if you notice in the trailer, they're very keen about making sure you know that that humor that appealed to adults back then is still going to be intact like you'll be able to have your kid humor and you'll have your adult humor so 
I'm excited about it. I'm I'm very excited. I can tell. And then Stranger Things season two, obviously, it had a lot of great references. Uh, yes, I remember playing Dragon Slayer myself, and I couldn't get the combos right all the time either. Uh, just want to let everybody out there know, but. It does look like it's going to be a continuation of the great series that that Stranger Things is for Netflix. And I know everybody's excited for it because it's coming out this Halloween. So those are excellent choices as well. Uh, first off, what were your thoughts on Kingsman 2? really liked the trailer. Some people said it showed too much, but I got a little bit more insight on the Statesman and exactly whether or not Colin Firth is going to be on the side of good or the side of evil this time around. Uh, I don't think that it made things confusing as much as that kind of cleared up some stuff that we were wondering, like who are the statesmen? What do they do? It turns out they're the American version of the Kingsmen. They didn't really reveal anything about the villain. Well, it was Julianne Moore seemed to be explaining, and she seemed to be looking at Moore to be like the villain in this case. Uh, first, yeah. I thought it was hinting in the first trailer that Colin Firth's character was going to be the villain. It just appeared itself to be that way. But in the second trailer, he seems to be assisting the Kingsmen in, in trying to battle the forces of evil. Yeah, correct. And I, I'm i curious like how they're going to explain how he came back to life. Because he didn't just get shot in the eye. Like, he got his whole face blown off. So I'm hope, I hope they go into some detail about how that managed. I would hope so, too. But then again, this is the, the same movie set that had that really fantastic ending as far as the you know the people's heads popping off into fireworks type of deal so with that kingsman anything is possible indeed yeah i mean i personally like i i would hope to see some more character development between eggsy and the uh i forgot the what the girl's name was you could tell that there was something like kind of hinted at in the last movie Definitely would like to see them evolve that part of the relationship as well, since they are, looks like from all appearances, some of the last Kingsmen around, correct? Yeah, right. Not because I just, I'm so tired of hearing people say, hey, this movie is the next James Bond. Like, that is the most overused phrase. And I don't want the Kingsmen to be like the next James Bond. It is not. I think it's trying to poke fun at James Bond the entire way. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm more alluding to like Atomic Blonde and all that, but like, I'd rather see him like be developed more as a character. I, I think so as well. That would be great to see him, him develop and continue that because it, to me, it was a fun movie. It was basically something I saw on DVD and I was completely caught by surprise at how much I liked it. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm still, even after the second trailer that came out, it was definitely great to see it. Indeed, I liked the development and where it was going. I know, like I said, some of the thought maybe it's a little too much to show, but for me, it was it was good enough indeed. And then also there was stuff from Blade Runner 2049. I got to see and understand better the timeline, exactly what has happened as far as replicants being outcasts and then being brought back into society and then now on the verge of possibly even taking over the society of, of the human race as well, leading into Blade Runner 2049. So definitely looking forward to that. And I've, I know you and I both on and off the air have, have shared our interest in this movie, but there were some other great things going on at Comic-Con. Uh, the Orville, which uh, you know supposed to be a Star Trek parody entirely uh, does this excite you did you get the chance to see seth mcfarland's uh, latest attempt at, at you know trying to to garner a, a television audience 
I didn't watch the trailer. Honestly, like, I'm not very interested in it. I'm, it's cool that there's an audience for it, I'm sure, and there's people who would want to see it. Maybe Star Trek fans would like it, but I don't I don't like parodies. I, I don't like things that I can't take seriously. And it doesn't look like you're going to probably swing much time into Star Trek Discovery, but I'm actually very interested in it, uh, and a new trailer came out for that. And I'm actually really kind of getting into it more uh, a new uh, way of looking at the Klingon race is, is being done in this version, which takes place before the events of the Star Trek reboot. So uh, definitely looking forward to, to Star Trek Discovery. Also some Westworld 2. It's more like a, a teaser because I know they just started production. So some definitely great images that we saw there, especially of the men in black all covered in blood. Uh, so you don't know what's going on there. Definitely uh, looking to give it another chance indeed this time around. But last, I want to talk to you, you know, as, as host of the Pop Culture Cosmos, along with me and, and you know, pop culture interests that we have. Is there any bigger pop culture, you know, trailer that you've seen than Ready Player One coming up, a movie next year by Steven Spielberg? No, it, it's funny because with that, I think we're getting kind of these pseudo sequels that we always wanted to see, like what what would happen if this universe were extended a little bit. And I think we're going to get to see it. So like as far as like Tron and the Iron Giants and... Exactly. Freddy Krueger being shot right in the middle. Of, it's it basically looked like a VR experience done by a whole bunch of different people at the same time. But it was just truly wild as far as all the different pop culture restaurants from back to the future had the DeLorean. It's yeah. just, it was just wild and crazy from what we saw, correct? I think from what I understand of the movie though, isn't the the key to saving the world is hidden in these old pop culture references, right? Is that... I believe that is correct from the book. Well, it's obviously from the hit book Ready Player One uh, that yeah. came out just a short time ago. Um, so it definitely a uh, uh, looking forward to to catching up with with my interest on that, but I believe that is correct on that. Okay, but yeah, it, it looks really good. It looks like it's it's very well done. It's not one of those like cheesy sci-fi movies that got a, a low budget and a terrible director. So I'm pretty excited about it. Definitely uh, uh, looking forward to Ready Player One because it definitely will look like a a film worth watching for all the pop culture references. And I'm, you know, I think, are we going to be actually watching the film? We're going to go like, Oh, that, that's that. Oh yeah. I remember that. Oh yeah. yeah I remember that. I remember, you know, going to be looking at, at all the different parts of the screen instead looking for all those pop culture icons uh, from, from the past, present and, you know, going forward. So definitely uh, some, some great references there indeed. So that was some uh, some of the great news that that we wanted to cover here at the Pop Culture Cosmos show. If you have your thoughts on Comic-Con as a whole and and what you liked and what you didn't like, please share your thoughts with us popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, also as well popculturecosmos on Facebook and Twitter as well along with Humanican Media and of course Game Source as well. We'll be right back with our good friends at the TV Ratings Guide, sharing some thoughts on, on the, the summer programming that's out there. Uh, a little bit of talk with them, uh, and we're going to have a little bit of that coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Super, 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 super. BS.
because the Switch is the new Vita, man. It's mm-hmm. going to get there. It's going to make all the bronies happy. That's bros who like uh, My Little Pony. <laughs> We're are, are all... Are bronies? We are bronies, okay? Oh. I didn't know you guys... I didn't know if I should tell you guys, but I'm Rainbow Dash. Yeah. Rainbow Dash. <laughs> Rainbow. It's supposed to be a My Little Pony's movie coming. Oh, I can't that's wait. in the works. Oh, yeah. I love it. Uh, I, say, I say just get the GD game. And then I'll talk about it next week and talk about how Dave ruined my life. Okay, <laughs> it's, the next week is going to be a total. I'll gladly indemnify you for that ten dollars oh if goodness. I ruin your life. Oh my goodness! Right, what, what's up next? What's me. What's been going on? Actually, D twenty three happened last weekend. Mm. You guys uh, know what D twenty three is? Yeah, it's the Disney Expo. Yeah, and do you know what Disney's part owners of? That's also a video game. Marvel. Dumb idiot. No, you <laughs> dumb. Trash idiot, you dumb <laughs> dumpster dummy. Star, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I'm gonna smack you so far All across right. this table. All right, enlighten us. Uh, DC. Kingdom Hearts DC. three, the oh, number one Bobby. game. They're doing it, guys. They're bringing it back. Eight. It's only been ten years since they announced it. Oh Actually, gosh. we're only at uh, eight years. They should so call it Gummy Ship three. Oh, yeah. And that's the Super BS Games Cast catch all their great episodes today on the Humanica Media YouTube, Podbean and Podcast.com channels and we're back with the show we truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today, my name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source thanks so much for tuning in and speaking of tuning in we're back with the TV Ratings Guide. That's tvratingsguide.com for all the latest TV info, ratings info, and a lot of historical things as far as what has gone on in the TV world now and in the past, and also setting up for the future as well. And who better to have on the show from the TV Ratings Guide than two of our favorite writers? It's Jessica Boggs and Bridger Cunningham. How are both of you doing today? doing pretty good. Yeah, doing wonderful. Sweet, sweet. That, that's great indeed. We truly appreciate you both being part of the broadcast here today. I know I, you send this out to your awesome site, which has a ton of readers and ton of followers. That's the TV Ratings Guide. Uh, I also want to mention out there, not only should you follow them on the tvratingsguide.com website, but also their Twitter and Facebook account at the TV Ratings Guide. I'm telling you, it's just awesome if you just follow them on Facebook as I do a lot. And and when you see that the articles that you want to follow, bing, 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 pops right, right up. You just click on it and all their great stuff is right there for you. So Bridger, I want to get your thoughts first on some shows on, on any one of the networks that you choose that you think have really stood out and performed well for summer programming this year. Every year I look at the ratings. Um, I've looked at them in the past, and usually I looked at the overall. Like, I didn't look at the demographics, but the one that stands out for me is Big Brother. And one of the reasons, I'm not a reality TV fan, and I've tried to watch that. My entire family but me watches that in sports, and I just cannot get into it. However, it performs decently at the uh, bar of about a 1.8 or higher, which is good because most of the summer shows are swinging 0.8 or 0.6, This show somehow performs on a solid bar. It has a continual base that comes back every year. Every year. It's it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Exactly. They claim it's on season 22 or something of that sort. I call it season 16 because it's been 16 calendar years. 
Well, I've done that in the past when I created the uh, historic cards. They'll claim, oh, they had two or three seasons this season. I just call it one because yeah. I go by one calendar year. But yeah, well, they ha- they've also had, but like, like you said, they had those uh, segmented, you know, when they were on a lot more regularly in their earlier years, uh, uh, whatnot, right. when they were a hot ticket and, and they were a go-to show for CBS that they needed some fill-in work indeed. Jessica, what are some of the shows that you've been looking into this summer season? On broadcast, I've been looking at America's Got Talent as usual. It seems like it's been getting stronger because the league average has dropped recently. And now on cable, I'm watching Snowfall, MTV's Thursday lineup, and then Nashville. Well, you're always a Nashville fan, so I I know that for sure. Nashville, uh, summer, fall, you know, my conversations with with the TV ratings guide, it seems amongst your crew, Nashville is just like that, hit that like sweet spot uh, for you. And you you and I talked before the program about uh, Nashville's fall in the ratings right after it got picked up for another season. Is that correct? Yes. Um, it got picked up for another season of 16 episodes, but yet after that, the quality decreased and the ratings went down in 5B. And that was after the departure of Connie Britton. Yes, they did commit to another season. The Nashville Network did, but they could shorten the season as well. Bridger, there's been some shows that have have not performed as well, uh, I know. Um, but what are some of the shows that have disappointed in either a year over year or some a new program that that was projected to rate a little bit higher honestly i'm kind of a sitcom junkie so when i saw what happened to carmichael this year that was a little bit disappointing the carmichael show has been a hot point for a lot of uh feedback uh against uh you know the networks for cutting it out correct right and it was one of those that it never rated well from what i looked up it was like every season in the summertime it was kind of like an afterthought that along with downward dog it's it's like summer is not a good place to launch a show and it's almost as though the networks are almost you're guaranteeing a death now by putting it in the summertime true true indeed but their expectations aren't as high correct for a show well, let's take like snowfall i know that's something that we, we talked about briefly Jessica, Snowfall has been a heavily promoted show on the FX network because as what we just talked about with with Bridger, it may not have the expectations of some others because summer programming is traditionally trending lower. But your thoughts on how Snowfall has performed so far uh, in its short run so far with FX? In week one, it premiered to like almost a 0.5. And then this week, it went up from a 0.36 from week two. That may be because of the week two had a decreased lead in though. And, well, then, and it, there's always an, you know, uh, uh, usually a week two, you know, downfall I've seen with almost every program. Rarely have I seen with a week two program where it goes higher, but it's trending back up again. So maybe audiences are tuning back in whatnot. And like you said, it's all about the lead-in, but with uh, FX, it's kind of different because they play just a traditional movie, uh, a hit movie from the past before they run their shows, uh, from what I've seen with with um, the, the Strain, with Snowfall, with whatever they're doing now. But I know the Strain is also in its last uh, season, um, as far as it's concerned, the final season uh, for the Strain. So 
so I, I, I said it's the final season for the strain. I know that's uh, something that a lot of uh, people have, have talked about for the FX. So is it going out on a decent note so far, Jess, or is it just uh, something that people would just want to get rid of and move on to another? Uh, I think it's like, it was like at 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5 uh, the season before, and then it premiered about the same, though. So it's mostly consistent. Ah, uh, indeed. That's a, that's, a, that's a decent sign for the strain. So I appreciate both of you being on. Jessica, thank you so much. Bridger, thank, thank you so you. much. Appreciate you being both uh, part of the broadcast here today. It's Bridger Cunningham and Jessica Boggs. Please follow them on the TVRatingsGuide.com. want to thank everybody for, for listening in and truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And, you know, of course, you've both been on the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here along with my good friend, Mr. Josh Peterson. So, Josh, to close out the show, I wanted to talk about the great victory for Dunkirk. Your thoughts on why Dunkirk performed well above the expectations of many media analysis and also well above the studio expectations, not just overseas and not just obviously in Britain because of the the close relationship that Britain audience has with the situation going on in World War II at Dunkirk, but I want to hear your thoughts on why it performed so well here in the States this past weekend to the tune of 50 and a half million, and which was right around the numbers that War of the Planet of the Apes earned the week before. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, Chris Nolan's directing prowess, but I also think that he is smart and cashing in on a genre of movie that hasn't been explored in a long time, and that's the historical epic. It's because, I mean, how long has it been since Saving Private Ryan came out? Or even, you know, you go farther back in time than that and you have like your big uh, sword and sandal flicks. Like we haven't had a lot of those types of movies in a long time. And people people like those. I mean, I know there's only so many tales you can tell from those events in our timeline, but it's like people do like to be educated. Like the the great thing about Dunkirk is you're not just getting, um, you know, Chris Nolan fans and like people who love uh, you know, you're getting the older generation to come out and watch these movies. And I think that that's one of the things that's bringing this movie a lot of success. I think, you know, kudos to Chris Nolan and his writers. And I'm looking forward to watching this. And there's even at this point in time, some Oscar buzz in regards to the film on how well it was is executed. Christopher Nolan's name is really good with moviegoers right now. So, uh, you know, he's obviously riding on a high right now and definitely getting some good Oscar buds. So if you get a chance, check out Dunkirk at the theaters. What are your thoughts on Dunkirk, the movie? Do you you agree with our assessment that it's really going to be something that is not only going to be a very good hit at the box office, but also as well something that, that could be remembered come later this year as one of the finest films of 2017? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, and Humanican Media on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, it's been a great episode. We want to thank the TV Ratings Guide for being on the show and also my good friend Josh Peterson with his 
analysis on all the stuff going on this weekend at Comic-Con. Josh, before we head on out, did you have anything you wanted to tell the audience about what's coming up for you or Humanica Media? Um, there's a new super BS for sure, but I mean, honestly, like could be probably maybe next week before we I'm able to start pumping out some new material again. In the meantime, tune into uh, Podcast Radio Network on Tuesday night to catch the exclusive Attack of the Humanicans. Uh, definitely looking forward to it indeed. And that's 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific right here on the Podcast Radio Network. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. What's up, world? Uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. They, they, they insert here. Yo. It's a terrible game, bottom line. It's terrible in every way. Graphically, it's terrible. Gameplay is terrible. It's just terrible. Oh, angry Nick mad. That game sucked, and it's going to suck no matter how many revisions they make, and it just sucked even more because they put a connect with it. Oh, angry Nick mad. Or if there's violence, I'll just laugh and enjoy the fun. Kaz Hazari. Kaz Harai. 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 They just kind of got tired of Angry Nick on the first one and said, yeah, I'm going to pass. Oh, yeah, so I do. Precisely. No. No. I do all my work. No. No. I don't. Oh, thank you. I try. I mean, let's face it. Mario, and to a lesser extent, Zelda is what carries Nintendo at this point. Always be radical. I love you, little podcast. You're the bestest thing ever. For the promise of a new Super Smash Brothers and the Zelda game, yes. You will not find a better story presented in any other game genre, in my personal opinion. Like, JRPG have that. They have that story. That's what the entire game felt like. Oh my god. God, I want to bang my head into a wall. It's a podcast weekend. Can someone remind me? I thought it was a video game podcast. You are listening to the Game Source Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we are live once again from the wonderful Retro City Games right here in also as well, Game Source. Want to thank you again for listening to us. We are again available every Monday night, well, 10 or 10.30 Eastern, 7 or 7.30 Eastern, uh, on the Podcast Radio Network. We truly appreciate John allowing us on the network, but uh, sometimes the previous show runs a little long, so we apologize for that. But yes, between 10, 10.30 Eastern Time, 7, 7.30 Pacific Standard Time, the Podcast Radio Network. We also want to... Uh, 
<laughs> Thank uh, also all of our other networks that we are available on the Tangent Bound <laughs> Network, the ESO <laughs> Network, uh, the Gunna Geek Network. We're also available for download, and you can subscribe today to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast.com, and our latest three episodes are now available again, as always, on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. So I'm here with a couple of great, great people, some good friends of mine. You know him. You love him. He is the co-owner, along with Nicole Calgazian, of Retro City Games, the leader in gaming in here in southern Nevada. His name is Douglas Hoyabu. Hola. Hola. How you doing, my friend? Doing well. How are you? I am well. I'm well indeed. Uh, and as my other guest today, we have the man, the myth, the legend. Again, he's back for more. He is one of the co-conspirators in creating Pop Culture Cosmos as well, along with Douglas. Yes, you are. You get, you get some of the blame. <laughs> okay. As, as if that's a punishment. <laughs> It's a burden I must bear. Yes. We all have our cross. It is Rob McCallum. How are you, my friend? Doing well. Thanks for uh, inviting me back. Well, we are here once again. Like I said, it is a collaboration between Retro City Games, Wine, Women, and Words, the leader in literary podcasts, available now on YouTube, podcast.com, and Google Play, Mario Party Wars, those crazy kids from UNLV. Check them out, Mario Party Wars, on Facebook because uh, they have a great time indeed in all video games and also as well board gaming as well. GameSource, the leader in everything information in regards to the video game world. Check them out, GameSource on Facebook and also GameSource on Twitter. And this man, he's going to tell you what he's got on his plate at robmccallumfilms.com. Wow, just the standard stuff, Nintendo Quest. If you go to nintendoquest.com or robmccallumfilms.com, you can uh, score yourself a set of Blu-ray, which has all the bonus feature stuff, three discs, packed full of material. Of course, the Power Tour as well, a follow-up series, which, of course, you've seen and reviewed. Uh, and just lots of stuff going on, man. Just just, just lots of stuff. And, and, and you get to see this mug in the Power Tour. There it's you go. It's true story, this guy here. And this one, too, as That'll well. And this one here. <laughs> yes, yes. So take a look for that. And it's available today through robmccallumfilms.com. Check it out. All of his great projects he's got on the queue. So uh, that leads us into more gaming stuff today. I want to talk about uh, virtual reality. Virtual reality, this is the year supposedly that virtual reality was here on the scene. That virtual reality would explode into the universe and into the minds and consciousness of the entire consumer base of, of the entire world. And while PlayStation VR has come out okay uh, to, to uh, some critical reception and also to big favorite for you know, Doug, as he explained in one of our previous episodes, which you can catch uh, at any time available on any one of our outlets. I want to talk a little bit, is VR here to stay, or has there been too much hype given to it because the Oculus Rift, the Vive, the only thing I really see advertised prominently these days and obviously promoted is the lower end or the lower priced virtual reality experiences from both Samsung and Google. Well, I'm going to pause right here. I'm going to let Doug, you're going to jump in the hot seat here because I think you've got a lot to share. And I don't want you marginalized on the side <laughs> Margin of the frame. So we're going to we're going to switch spots here. You jump are, in the center. Are, are we really? Yeah, we're oh. going to do this. Okay. So you're on the hot seat. <laughs> you're on the hot seat. Douglas Hoyabu from Retro City Games is on the hot seat today. All right. So it's no secret I love VR. Um, it's been a hit with everybody I've shared it with. 
Um, I think the sales numbers kind of show that. That I mean, it's outpacing both of its competitors. I mean, you know, from time of launch to time of now, um, it sold last time I saw over five hundred thousand units at launch. Um, so I know that number is higher now. I don't really see it in stock anywhere, and when it is, it's not for very long. Um, friends we have that work at GameStop and stuff say, as soon as they get one in, they have a list of people to call and sell it to. Um, I know over Thanksgiving, both my family and a couple other people I know that have it, it was a huge hit. I mean, everybody wanted to play it. Um, I think it's lacking on AAA titles still, but I don't see that being an issue in the, in the long run. Um, so I, and, and I, Ger- I, Gerald, me, you're, you're of a different mindset by the looks of it, Gerald. You're already <laughs> you're giving me the skeptical eyes right now. <laughs> well, the PlayStation VR, I guess, is the most approachable for, if you want a a like you like you said before a very good to almost great VR mm-hmm. experience. The the Oculus Rift and the Vive they've just priced themselves out of the market, and cool. and after the failure of the Oculus Rift launch, as far as you know, not even providing its own backers with uh, timely shipments. It's pretty much, you know, disappointing to me in that end. In that end, and like I said, the only thing that we really see promoted today, you know, after the, all the hype initially began, is the lower-priced experiences you see from Google and Samsung. Well, I think it's because it's the most approachable. I mean, everybody has a smartphone or some sort of you know s- smaller device that they can use for those um, those avenues for VR. Um, I think the reason PlayStation, you know did better than its competitors was just because, like you said, the price point. It's not just the price point of the actual unit itself and the entry cost. It's not everybody has a PC that can handle it. And especially on the PC market, there's such varying you know, specs and prices of things that you need that I think it makes it unapproachable for the average consumer. If you look at somebody and say, you already have a PS4, buy this and you can use it, that makes it really easy and really, it's really approachable. And I think in the long run, that's why it's doing so well. Well, the PSVR is the most comfortable headset uh, by far of any of the units. And I know with CES you know, coming around, another hot topic will be everybody trying to either bring out their own VR experiences or try to support the uh, VR experiences that are out already. Uh, Rob, we've shared our thoughts on it. What are your thoughts on virtual reality? Is it was it too much hype brought into this year? You think? No, I, I think it's a very exciting uh, thing that we're finally there, and everybody that has experienced it seems to to like it to varying degrees. I mean, I don't think all gaming is going to go in that direction, and I don't think it should. I think it should be like a special experience. Just you know, it reminds me sort of like okay, everybody loved the Wii, and then all of a sudden you had the PlayStation Move and the Xbox Connect, but they were just you know, just kind of little sections of those other libraries, and that's where it should have kind of just stayed. I don't think everything needs to be VR, but kind of like what Doug was saying about PCs and VR, the price point, even though it, like they might have a PlayStation 4, is a little high for people. And so right now you're only getting like the top 10% of gamers that can afford to make that plunge to something that doesn't have AAA support yet. I mean, I was really interested in but when I looked at the games, I was like, there's nothing really that is, you know, a must-have yet for me. So, like for instance, the X X Wing experience—it's great, but it's really short. On Battlefront, you mean? Yeah, Battlefront. it's very short. Yeah, okay. It's excellent. Like I, I feel like I'm in Star Wars. Like it's fantastic. Is it better than the Battle Pod? Yeah. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I, I promise you. No, it's not. When, so, when you like slap the, your when, mouth. when the ATAT comes walking up and you, you like feel the weight and like the gravity of the situation, how enormous it is. Like it, it's pretty awesome. So I ask you this. <laughs> What do you think it will take to get VR on all realms a little bit uh, more into the stream of, of 
normal average consumer's consciousness uh, because like I said I'm, I don't think they've really despite the success of the PlayStation VR I still don't think that that the average consumer has bought in 100% into VR I think part of what needs to happen is better advertising on the, the other things that VR supports besides gaming um, you know there's concerts you can do uh, the NBA announced that they're going to be doing one game a week in VR where you can be courtside um, there's museum tours you can do which are pretty impressive there's even I mean there's even concerts where it's like the Hatsume Miku games where you can sit live at a like an, an anime idol concert not live but you can sit yeah. there and be in the you know there's a lot of other things besides just gaming and I think like you were saying it should kind of be on not on the fringe but it should be a niche of gaming and I think it could be a niche of a lot of different things. I mean, if you could visit the Louvre in VR, I mean, I think the average person would find that intriguing. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it needs to go more social. I mean, Facebook bought, what was it, Oculus Rift or whatever? Yes. Yeah. So when are we going to see like the implications of that purchase roll out where you know, maybe we're just having a VR chat or there's other people there, and how is that going to be a, a more enhanced experience that isn't all about processing power or, or developing something new. I think when we see the social side uh, catch up to where, where the hype is, and when we get like an original AAA title that offers an experience that we haven't ever seen before, then it's really going to kind of be the two-tier uh, impact. To, to me, um, Eve Valkyrie was the closest to that that, I, that I've played so far, where um, it's, it's basically you're, you're, you're playing as a... Eve like fighter pilot, you know the Eve MMO. Yep. Eve Online. Well, you're playing as one of those pilots, and it's 16 player multiplayer, and so you are playing against other real people, and it's it's dogfighting in space, and it's pretty interactive. The problem is, that's all it is. Am so, I gonna am I gonna get slapped if I think that No Man's Sky should be a VR project? No, I 100% agree, and I, I don't see why they couldn't add support. I think after the uh, rocky launch that it's had, and all the bad press that it received for in many people's eyes not delivering on what it promised I think that's a great step for it to go into as far as to try and reclaim or salvage some of that PR bad hit that they took initially I feel like uh, I don't know I feel like No Man's Sky was like a, a bad presidential candidate and couldn't fight off all of the... Are we going to call this well, No, 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 in the, in the sense... <laughs> no. No, no, that sounded worse than it was. That seems to be the, the theme of... Uh, that seems to be a bigger theme than VR in 2016. Well, okay, well, my, my issue with it is a lot of what people said they promised wasn't what they actually said. It was what people wanted it to be. It was a space sim resource management. I'm just not saying anything. <laughs> and to me, something like No Man's Sky delivered on what it was. I just couldn't... I was expecting a little more depth in what I could do with those resources. That was my biggest issue. Was I had all this money, and I'm like, what do I do with it? God, you had and a lot I of can't. money. I never had enough money. <laughs> but I would, lo I would honestly love a No Man's Sky VR because it is all yeah. about the exploration. So anything that can further put me on a planet to enjoy the surroundings... Yeah. Even though all the planets are like five shades of gray from one another, there's still enough variables that made the touching down, you know, it made you wonder what you were going to see, and to see that in a virtual reality scope would be have great. You, have you played since the update? No, I heard the update was great, though. It, it's great. It adds, like, um, modular base building, uh, customizable ships. Cool. And could you imagine, like, like with VR implemented, what you could do on a customizing level? That'd be great. If you had something like a, a Minecraft level of customization and building in a world like that, where you could literally manipulate the world, that'd be... Fantastic, or even what's um? Well, I think Call of Duty. If Call of Duty, I know their sales are down as far as that's concerned, oh, God. and I know if that they ever stepped into, especially with the advanced warfare, um, 
you know, the, the titles that they're coming out now with Advanced Warfare, if they went into VR, maybe that's a step in the right direction for the series. I would agree with that. Um, I think we need, like, a AAA shooter. That was the one thing that was kind of lacking. One of my favorite um, things was actually in the VR worlds. Um, I guess so it's, like, six demos, I guess? Yes. They're, 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 they're more than a demo. I mean, they're a couple hours each, but, I mean, like, the underwater one, you're in a cage underwater. Is it, is it the version of Nintendo Land? Yeah, I would say it's kind of like a Wii Sports, where you get you get a full game, but it doesn't have that. But killer... is there is there a big is there is there a huge amount of longevity in that? It, but there's one called Heist, and it's all first person. Okay, and that was my favorite by far. And I'm, I'm normally it, it plays like a generic shooter. Don't get me wrong, but it was picking up a magazine off the table and having to actually shove it in the bottom of the gun. Sure, like you couldn't miss it. It added that new level of precision and, and tactical feeling to it, where you could literally shoot behind you while looking in front. I mean, I could see in a multiplayer Call of Duty like that could be... I yeah. Mean, I, it could change everything. It's always a happy time here at Retro City Games, as you can hear in the background. <laughs> it's going to be fun to edit. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just as far as... But that... Because it also reminds me of the getaway, uh, as far yeah. as when with Heist is concerned. So. They're actually very similar. Just third person versus first. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So there's just some great things to look forward to in VR... While I'm not exactly on the hype train as of yet, I know Doug is, and I'm going to take him at his word that VR has a long way to go. If you have any thoughts on the VR scene, you can always send us a, uh, a message at, at Pop Culture Cosmo, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, or popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. And then once again, I want to make sure everybody goes to Retro City Games on Facebook to enter the contest today. Your choice. Leave a comment below your choice on exactly the best video game of 2016, and we'll be picking a grand prize winner that will get the German edition of Nintendo Quest and also a $100 gift card to Retro City Games, the leader in video games in Southern Nevada. I hope Tiny Rails gets uh, some, some shout-outs. Do you guys know about Tiny Rails yet? Yes, we do. Oh. Just came so, out. So Tiny Rails came out today. It's from Tiny Titan Studios, which our good friend Glenn Stanway works with, our other friend Jeff Evans. They've released Dash Quest. They've released uh, Happy Death Cube Arena. And Tiny Rails is like a train sim. So you inherit your family's train company, and you get to add different cars, and you get to like monitor passenger satisfaction, and you've got to go city to city. And when you shut your phone off, your train is still traveling. So And it's all mapped out on, on a scale. I don't know if it's like 1 to 20, so every minute I think is an hour of travel time. So if by train it takes you know 15 hours to go from Toronto to Florida then it's going to take you know 15 minutes on your phone. So every time you basically pick up your phone, you can be in other places, you unlock different depots, you can go to Europe through train tunnels and stuff. It just seems like a huge, fun resource sim management game, which, talking about No Man's Sky, we love, and you can have futuristic-looking trains, old-school Western-looking trains. Which, which, I don't know why I love those kind of games so They're much. They're fun! I know, but to me, it's on paper. It's, you explain that to somebody, and it sounds so tedious. But once you experience once it, you're in it, and you start like, getting creative you're, you're with what like, you can do. You're yeah. like, I'm going to be the master of everything. So I, I hope people <laughs> give Tiny Rails a shot. It's free to play, iOS and Android Store, of course, so check awesome. that out. Check it out. Tiny Rails on iOS and Android. It's a great game. You want to check it out? It debuted today as we are taping this podcast. So check it out today. It's already available. Tiny Rails on iOS and Android. When we come back, we're going to be talking to the Nintendo Switch and what is the hopes for us with the Nintendo Switch coming up right after the break. We're changing the name just because <laughs> of that. <laughs> 
It's time for more sarcasm, more gloating, more pop culture BS, and ridiculous video game chat as GamerCast returns for Season 2. My name is Rob McCallum, and this year, once again, I'm joined by Mr. Glenn Stanway and my lifelong friend, Jay Bartlett. This year, the show moves to a slightly different format, favoring a more unedited adventure that lets us include more topics as we get together once a month to vent and celebrate everything going on in the gaming industry today and yesteryear. So if you like the idea of arguing with us, though we'll never be able to hear you, then you definitely want to check out GamerCast. Season 2 is really going to take it up a notch. That's GamerCast here on the PCC, the Pop Culture Cosmos, on iTunes, and on Podbean. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, and we're back. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Retro City Games, also as well right here, represented by the co-owner along with Nicole Galgazian, it is Douglas Hoyaboo. And also as well, the man with the legend from RobMcCallumFilms.com, it is himself, Rob McCallum. Me again. There you go. We're back, and we just want to make sure everybody knows, get a chance to get out there and like Retro City Games on Facebook, the entire United States. Wow, Joe. I'm out. Wow. (laughs) Wow. You're you're ineligible for the prizes now too. Somebody has a game store in Reno they like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Easy Carson City fanboy. (laughs) So Nintendo Switch, Nintendo Switch was announced. Uh, Video was shown. Everything was great on it. Uh, Was it? It looks like something Uh, that you could also play at home and also take on the road. A lot of fan interest for it because obviously it showed uh, the other night on on one of the late night shows. it, It. Debuted oh, yeah, the Tonight Show, yeah, yeah. Yep, it debuted the footage of, of Zelda. Obviously, the new Super Mario was shown as well in the video. Your thoughts on exactly what's going on with the Switch and what you hope it will be. And I'll start with the man that, uh, you know, has dealt a lot with Nintendo when you watch the movie Nintendo Quest, which you can get at robmccallumfilms.com. Rob, what are your thoughts on Nintendo Switch? Uh, well, it's it's really cool that people are excited about Nintendo again. Of course, they don't know what they're being excited about, so it's the potential excitement. But everybody was excited for the Wii. Everybody was excited for the Wii U, and then those units came out. I, the only thing, honestly, that I'm excited for when it comes to the Switch is that there's a consolidated library now. There's so many games on the DS and the 3DS that I've wanted to play, but I'm not a portable guy. I've tried, and I bought you know those handheld consoles for the one game. And because I'm stuck looking at a screen like, you know, this big, it's been hard to get into for too long. Yet I can play different games on my phone without an issue. So I don't know what it is, but now we're talking one library catering to both kinds of gamers that I can play in my house. And if I choose to go on the run, which I won't, then I can at least have those games with me. So that's the only thing that I'm looking forward to. As always, it comes down to the games. I don't care how fancy it is. I don't care what kind of gimmick it is. I don't even care about the tech specs. It can be completely underpowered. As long as there are good, fun games, that's all that's going to matter. Because the Wii U actually has some great titles. Yes, it does. But they they were so sparsely... One per know, quarter? Yeah, one per Yikes. quarter. And, and it just they weren't supported by third parties as well as they should have. I know that's... that's it was only ever in a, uh, like a companion system, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, it just went along great with your Xbox, your PS4, because one per quarter is enough for me to play and not get bogged down behind the releases that they have because there just weren't any. But I don't think consumers as a whole got behind it because of the fact that they weren't sure if anything else was going to come Well, they also it. weren't sure on what it was, because is it the Wii? Is it the Wii U? Like, consumers what is it? Consumers don't even know it exists. 
to this day. Yeah. I have people that come in, and it used to be, oh, when's Nintendo going to come out with a new console? And now it's, oh, Nintendo's finally coming out with a new console. It's been a long time since the Wii. And I, the, yeah. the, the Wii U, people still, and this is the majority of the, the casual consumer base, don't know that the Wii U is a system. The people who have heard of it, and this is from, you know, at least me behind the counter, they l- honestly believe it's like the Wii Fit board. They think it's an attachment. They think it's an add-on. They don't think it's something they need. And that's that boggles my mind that a big company like Nintendo can get marketing of their main product so wrong. Because you see all the time advertisements continually supporting PlayStation 4, even from third-party games that are out. Same thing with Xbox and Xbox One. Yeah. You know, they, they continually are out there in the media, out there as far as advertising, continually supporting the games that are on their products. So what do you think is, needs to happen for Nintendo Switch to hit it big this coming year? Well, I mean, third-party support has always been like the, the death uh, nail in the coffin for the Wii U. They just didn't have any, which is fine because their first-party titles are why you buy a Nintendo They've either the really place. had it in, in Nintendo series, they've either really had it in spades, or have just not, have really just not had it at all. I they mean, need third-party exclusives, and I don't know any third-party publisher that's going to give them an exclusive that's going to be a great deal, because Nintendo probably won't give them a great deal, because it's Nintendo. Because I can think of only one, Bayonetta 2, on the Wii U, that it was actually really, really good, but even, nobody even, really cared about it. it, it they didn't, and it, it, it's it's probably one of the best games on the system, but the problem is they, they pulled it too short. I mean, that game became incredibly hard to find two months in. Yeah, and Nintendo tends to do that with a lot of their first-party stuff. They release it, they let people buy a bunch of it, and then you can't find it again until Nintendo Selects version. Yeah, how much do you know? How much longer? And by that time, people don't care. So, what do you think Doug, uh, needs to happen for the Switch to become I, successful? I agree 100 percent with Rob. Um, I like the idea of the consolidation of the library if they give us good games. Yeah, my issue is um, I don't think they're going to do that. I not not the good game aspect. I don't think they're consolidating their library. I think the I think they're going to kill the Wii U, which they obviously are. They didn't say they were going to. They said, we're going to have a third line. Well, they already stopped production on it. Exactly. But a month before that, they said, oh, it's going to be, the Switch will be a third product line, which we all knew was BS. I mean, yeah. any reasonable person. But I think the 3DS, with how well it sells, I don't think most consumers are going to want to, A, carry around that big of a device on, on a regular basis. No secret, I'm a big fan of the Vita, and I already think that's a little too big. That's a pain in the ass to carry around. Like, especially once I have a case on it, it doesn't fit in my pocket. I either have to have it in a bag or it just sits, like, on my passenger seat and hope I don't leave it somewhere. And Security tips from Doug 101. Well, no. <laughs> and, that come, and that comes from one of the last big supporters of the PlayStation Vita, which, which you are. I'm a huge fan of it. It's, it's the only hand, well, it's really the only handheld since the Game Boy Color that I really, like, got into and really, like, wanted to buy more games and really wanted to, to play consistently. But the good thing about the 3DS is it's durable. And how many consumers, and I know this might be stretching out a little bit, how many consumers are going to want to hand their 5, 6, 7, 8-year-old kid a $250, $300 console that they're going to carry with them? Dude, I see I see so many parents give their kids iPads, you know, and it's just as pricey. So I And cell phones. Yeah, and cell phones. So I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think it will be because that was already the thing. I mean, at least from my perspective that Nicole's family was already complaining about. She's like... When Nicole's mom found out it was a, a portable console, she was like, oh, that's going to get destroyed. That was the first thing out of her mouth. Well, that's more sales and, for Nintendo. Right? Exactly. But you think the controller is the way it snaps in? You think those actual pieces are like, you can get lost underneath the couch or whatnot? And, and 
I, I I don't know. And even just the more the, sales for an attendant. Even the durability of those snaps. I mean, what happens? You know, when that controller doesn't fit on there right anymore, and things like that. And I know I'm being nitpicky, and I'm just thinking of all the well, I mean, things I, that could be. I don't know about anybody else. I'm just going to leave it in the dock and use the Pro controller That's, as much as oh, I can myself as well. But that that cuts out half of the functionality of what they're. Well, claiming. I'm okay with that. Just give me a good <laughs> game because if it's not a good game, I'm not going to care about the functionality anyway. But the average consumer is just going to buy it straight up and not get things in, or get the attachments right away. Most most of the average consumers just use the whatever's provided in the base console unit so they won't be as apt to maybe go and get the pro controller right away or whatnot and they're going to try and utilize the system as is out of the box which as like you said and like you're speculating could be an issue because it may be concerning to reattach that unit every single time well, and I was just getting back to I, I, I agree and, and most consumers really just want a plug and play option the easiest. I think that's why the 360 did so well during its uh, time. There was nothing you had to, to touch on. That's why the PS4 is doing so well now. And I think that's part of the problem with the Wii U. With you have to use the tablet to manage everything. Yeah. You have to use it to turn it on. It just became so clunky and weird. That, but I'm hopeful. But I, getting back to my original point, I don't think that Nintendo is going to drop the 3DS line of games. I don't think we're going to see games. That I think we'll see games ported at least to the Switch that come out on the 3DS. I agree. I agree. I think that, that the only thing the Wii U has done really well is, is provided their consumers with something really attractive, the virtual console. I think that's the one thing that they've really done well with that system, and I think they're going to take that and expound upon it with Nintendo Switch owners by providing an even wider base of games to go ahead and... It would be super from. smart if they offered like a dual purchase like PSN does with their uh, yeah. with their membership where like a cross-buy. So if you bought like a 3DS game, you got like on your Nintendo Switch. That was, that was actually one of the things that made me push me over the edge to buy a PlayStation All-Stars. When we were looking at it, I'm like, I get it on my Vita and... I'm banging on tables making editing <laughs> hard for Gerald. I, I um... I, I the, getting it on the PS3 and the Vita was a great like I'm like oh that it's a no brainer I'm getting both versions uh, why even on I the PlayStation that? free games of the month that there's one that does a cross buy that's free people can actually get both versions free yeah. of charge mm -hmm. that, you, that's a great what do you guys thing. make of the marketing where like their commercial showed nothing but adults there was no kids shown in that big launch trailer kids don't touch <laughs> you know what I mean though like are they stay are away we, from it are we really gonna have like Adult-themed games or, or games for stuff that are just adults or they're targeting the nostalgic gamer? Like, what, is, what does that mean? I mean, clearly they've made an effort not to show families playing, which was their push for the Wii and the Wii U. Now it's just, like, the single adult or, like, you know, the married couple without kids. The, the closest thing The roof the parties with Madeline, who just has to keep bringing that thing. The closest <laughs> thing was the teens, right, that were gathering around the park with uh, playing, playing basketball, NBA yeah. 2K, yes. So. Waiting for the ball to bounce and smash the thing on the <laughs> table. Um, I don't think we'll see too many first-party Nintendo like mature or like adult games. I just I, it, we haven't in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, I, I don't see them. They didn't show any off if they were. I mean, they showed Skyrim. But what are we going to hear on January twelfth? Price point pack in is Splatoon a pack in? That's what the big rumor is. Is that going to be enough? Which okay, version? blown over with passion. Which, 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 which version? Uh, the existing version, maybe an upgraded form as far as from the Wii U, or are we talking a, a new Splatoon It 2? seemed to be this existing version with more story mode is what I had read somewhere. That's well, not enough. That's kind of my issue, too. You have Splatoon um, that looked the same, Mario Kart, which looked exactly the same. I think I don't want it to become a system of ports. 
And right now they're showing, you know, Skyrim. And they have well, all this let's third-party be honest. support. There's a ton of Wii U games that are good. There's at least oh, there 20 are. Wii U games. And if those got ported to the Switch, a system that people seemingly want now, well, that, it wouldn't be horrible. Well, that's but what I was you... talking about, the virtual console concept, because that's the thing they've done well on the Wii U. And I know they're going to expound upon it to bring out a whole bunch of series that are available. I believe they'll bring out a whole bunch of series that's going to be available on the Nintendo Switch. Well, and that's 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 fine, and that's great for a new customer that didn't buy the Wii U. But somebody who already had a Wii has a Wii U, are they going to buy a whole new console to get a couple extra hours of Splatoon? Well, it would and help. I mean, it would give them something to play, right? No, I agree, but I'm just saying, like... And I, again, I, is there a cross-buy? Is there a way that you can scan a barcode or, you know, connect to your Nintendo account where you've registered your coins or whatever and get downloadable versions or... I mean, the, the big, you speak of virtual console, the rumor is GameCube is coming, finally. Yeah, the GameCube exactly. Library. That's, and that's what I... Finally. Finally. But, and it, but it, you know, I think is that enough? Like, are we going to get new games or just be stuck on games I think that that's what I'm worried about. I think eventually you will get the Wii U games on there. Because right now, the only big thing they've shown that, that looks new... Is the Mario game. Is Mario. It's and it's Zelda, it looks cool. Well, Zelda, but I mean, is that ever going to come out? I'm, I'm joking. That might kind of be like a Last Guardian type situation. Five years from now, I hope it's coming hope, soon. Hope for Nintendo fans, it's <laughs> ten years no, from joking. now. I'm, I'm joking. No, it's um, I, so a, a new Mario and a new Zelda. There's nothing fresh. There's nothing. A new Mario different. game is always a difference maker, right? It, it it is enough for everybody to buy a console. Still, I loved Mario 3D World. I thought it was great. I couldn't get into it. I loved Mario Maker, but I hit this point where I was playing it every day and then just stopped. I was just kind of done. But that's most games, I find. No, but, but I mean, I, I didn't even, like, kind of, like, want to go back to it, ever. It's one of those things, like, I... It, it didn't have that, like... It didn't have that story arc or that experience. I... You know, there's levels, like, remember, pieces, like, going, oh, that's cool, but I don't remember any, like, standout levels, like, oh, well, my God. Well, all my levels. Yeah. Anyways. No. <laughs> well, there's definitely a lot to look forward to, indeed, when it comes to Nintendo Switch. Uh, January 12th is going to be a big day, and all eyes in the gaming world will be upon Nintendo to see if they'll actually come through and produce a console that is going to be really, really, you know, people are going to really, really get behind as far as the gaming community, and not just Nintendo really hardcore that's going to be embraced by the entire community as well. Well, I think price point is going to be that, that big factor, too. Oh, if it always get, is. If we get a 250 price point, I think... A sub-250 price point, I think it'll sell like crazy. Yes, I agree. I think 300 we might... I think it'll probably come out at 299 What kind of storage do you think it might have? Because 32 gigs, again. <laughs> but it'll probably have an... You know, you'll be able to plug in a hard drive, official Nintendo branded proprietary connection hard drive, which we'll just wait for a third-party person to make a <laughs> connector. That, that, to me, would be disappointing if they don't You do just that. summed up everything. <laughs> right? <laughs> so. It's, it's kind of true. I mean, we're... Are we really like SD cards? Like, still, that's what we're using for our main storage on our Nintendo products, is SD cards? Like, oh, it sucks. At least it's not optical media, right? It's something cool to collect. And Which I've been saying for a long time that I, that I honestly thought optical media was going to die this next generation. Not digital, just games coming on, on an SD-style format. That's, I mean, you can cater the size of the cart for the, the game you're yeah. coming out with. I mean, there's no um, there's no read it, it, It's, it's no caught up speeds. to it finally to yeah, go back to a physical thing without it being like ridiculously cost. You won't have the failure rate. Yeah. I mean, it'll make consoles more durable, smaller, quieter. I mean, it's I think it's nothing but a good thing. Well, I think that's a lot to look forward to, and like I said, all eyes will be upon Nintendo come January 12th when they will officially debut 
the Nintendo Switch to a, a larger audience, and we will get to see what the Nintendo Switch is all about. So, and, and like I said, when that comes about, we're actually going to be right here back at Pop Culture Cosmos sharing our thoughts on exactly the future for the Nintendo Switch. So when we come back, we're going to take a look at the some of the best games coming out in 2017. What are these guys' thoughts on where uh, what the top games they think will be out, what the top games they, they are looking forward to, and what are some gaming predictions they have in 2017 coming up right after the break. Hey everyone, if you are looking for the latest news in movies, TV, video games, sci-fi, comic books, pro wrestling, technology, esports, and more, look no further than Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter. Each week we provide hundreds of stories across the internet, bringing you closer to the latest news and information in the pop culture world. Stop by, and while you're there, like us and follow us today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. All right, and we're back with Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos. Ah! <laughs> Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Once again, check us out. Podcast Radio Network, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Tangent Bound Network, ESO Network, Gun and Geek Network. Uh, all those great networks, they have a great lineup on each and every one of them. So you want to check out all their podcasts on all those great networks. And we truly appreciate being part of them. If you get a chance and you want to hear us on the go, subscribe today on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and also podcast.com. You can do that and you'll get an episode downloaded to you each and every week. Well, I'm here again with my good friends, Rob McCallum from robmccallumfilms.com and also as well from Retro City Games. It is the man, the myth, the legend himself, Douglas Hoyer. Douglas Hoyer, because I, you know, I said man, myth, the legend on, on the previous one for Rob. We can't both be a myth. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we can. Why not? Dual myths. Oh. You know, you know what I'm disappointed that slipped 2016? What's that? And it's a good segue into our, our next topic, South Park. There you go, fractured butthole. Yeah, that sh- slipped to 2017, and that's the only game I can think of coming out next year, which is ironic given that you want me to talk about the games I'm excited for next year. Yes, and we are excited indeed for, for a lot of great games coming out in 2017 and gaming predictions that we have, uh, starting with that right there, the fractured butthole uh, was a December release, supposed yeah. to be, uh, and then just got pushed back. But I've got a couple that I'm going to throw out there, and I threw okay. it, I threw out some. You know, I'm going to throw out some with Josh as well. But um, Battlefront Two, Battlefront Two uh, is hopefully going to expound better on the Battlefront universe than than the. There's the, a the sequel first. coming out already. I feel like it just dropped. They're going to be actually, well, actually, the uh, Rogue One DLC just dropped. Yeah, but didn't Battlefield One just come out like in September? They're going to alternate each year. I mean. Uh, Remember, EA okay. only EA only has a Star Wars license for so long, so EA is going to try and put in mix in Star Wars uh, actual games, coinciding with the actual numbered Star Wars releases, uh, from what I'm able to ascertain. So I know they're talking, they're going to do uh, Battlefront Two. They're also talking about uh, debuting in a couple years as well. The Amy Hennig from Uncharted, her sure. her Star Wars adventure. I know. Uh, Couple more, I think Criterion maybe doing this one as well. I'm not, you know, they're, they're, they've got a whole bunch going on the price uh, because they've got a limited run 
uh, contract with EA, with obviously Lucasfilm on that, so they got to try and you know make the money on that. So I'm definitely looking forward to Battlefront 2. I know it will include a campaign because I know that's the one thing everybody seem to be uh, uh, harping on. Well, is, parallel with Titanfall, right? Everybody yeah, exactly. kind of complained that Titanfall 1 didn't have a story mode, and it was fine for whatever for the purists, but what did they want to add for Titanfall 2? Story mode. And didn't they do that? They Indeed. did. They did, and it actually got larger critical acclaim because yeah. of it, so it was a better gaming experience overall. Um, another game I'm looking forward to, Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah, I haven't played any Mass Effects. I know I'm, I'm one of the three people in the world who hasn't played any. My goodness. Uh, so be it. Well, I'm hoping EA will also just... I know they're not not really super high on, on doing uh, refurbished games as far as re-envisioning, reimagining. But I do hope that they go ahead and package the Mass Effect trilogy for the PS4 and Xbox One because I think that would be a really great way to go ahead and support Mass Effect Andromeda once it comes out. Okay. So that's that's a, another game coming out as far as it's concerned. Um, well, you're talk, we talked about the Nintendo Switch in the last segment. I mean, what about the games for coming out that you hope will come out for it? I hope there's a Mario game. What I read about the Mario game from this unknown online source that I'm sure can be trusted is that it's going to be much more like Mario 64. So Mario 3D World was much more an obstacle course in 3D space where you had a very linear path to follow with some deviations. Mario X, I guess it's being called or something like that, uh, is supposed to be much more of a 64 open world, uh, Mushroom Kingdom, Grand Theft Auto kind of... (laughs) Approach, I guess, a sandbox Mushroom Kingdom world, which sounds kind of fun, right? So it's I kind of when you said that, just you know, him going up, Mario running up and going with fireballs up. and like <laughs> torching little toads and stuff, <laughs> trying to get away from the the Koopas. Exactly, exactly. You know, just with an AK forty seven, just like I wasn't going to go that far, Gerald. That's ridiculous. Yeah, but hey, what do you what do you know? What do you know? What do you know? Uh, what do you know? But uh, also Zelda. What are your hopes as far as I know? We talked. Well, I hope about Zelda it. gets released in twenty seventeen. I know at this point, you never know. But it, I think it's going to be like november if it comes out but when you're we're looking forward to that game coming out in quote unquote 2017 what are you expecting zelda to to be as far as that besides obviously we know what was said during the the presentation um that was shown was okay anywhere you can see you can go and that's great but along the way what can you do right it's uh, they keep saying it's an open world zelda we've seen that but it's got to be more than an open-world Zelda. Taking existing concepts and putting the Nintendo characters and landscape is not enough for that game to be a must-have for that system. And they want it to be a system mover. They know it, and they know that it's hurting their launch, the fact that it isn't a launch title anymore. So it's got to go above and beyond somehow. It's got to... I think it's got to be the kind of thing where adventure strikes at any moment that isn't part of like the main story. Uh, and it's really got to push people. So in the way that Doug and I love No Man's Sky because narratives just happen, you find yourself in a story yeah. that has happened because you've randomly sat down on an unknown point on a planet, it has to be the same thing in Hyrule. And you've you're got creating to, your own you're You have to create your own narrative. Yes. Yeah. And that's what's going to have to be memorable for people. And that's what's going to have to get a guy like me, who's typically not a fan of Zelda, to pick up that game. That and no water temple. I will not play that game if there's a water temple. It just won't happen. I'm not putting the boots on. I'm not taking them off. I'm not hitting the switches to raise the water level for your little enjoyment. I'm just not doing it, Nintendo. Uh, well, it also tells me that, yes, it's great that you know anywhere you can see on screen you can go to, but it's what you do along the way 
The journey is not the destination. Exactly. So, so what challenges face you? Uh, is it just going to be oh, this randomized monster coming at you, attack, attack, attack? Is it going to be World of Warcraft, where if you kill 15 whatever, then you get some weird reward, like some like common thing? Or are the side quests and these random events that happen actually going to carry meaning and be intense enough to, to keep you playing? So if you want to go to that volcano in the distance, how long is it actually going to take you? I think The Witcher 3, to me, actually did a great job of providing different narratives along the way as far as not just going and having random battles, not just that, but also you know getting involved in, in missions and stories that, that were separate from the main story itself. So I haven't played it yet. I heard it was a pretty good game, one game of the year and everything. Yes. I, I do own it, but I don't I haven't played it yet. I'm way behind, that's, I know. That's about, know. that's about 100 hours of your time right there. Well, I also have Skyrim that i got to play through, apparently, That's another too. 100 hours. It's, I don't, in my lifetime, I will not get through those games. Especially with all the DLC for The Witcher, right? That's correct. So are we, that's an interesting question. For Zelda to be big in 2017, are, is it going to be resuscitated with DLC? Will Nintendo finally actually embrace DLC to an extent beyond like Mario Kart racetracks and characters? Yeah, exactly. Will they provide something more meaningful, meaningful to the experience down the road so that people may... And like will a, that be a selling point before it comes? Not, like, is like it going to be... a season pass. Exactly. Is it going to be like a Destiny where you know that there's going to be three modules later that are optional to purchase but will expand the gameplay? Wouldn't it be great if you bought Mario X knowing that you'd not only get one Mushroom Kingdom adventure but you'll have three eventually that make up this world? Indeed. Indeed. Another thing I want to look forward to is the actual Xbox and the Xbox Scorpio. Uh, the high-powered machine, which is going to come out, at, hopefully, if all goes well, around holiday time. Uh, this, is it that far away? Is it a year away? Well, I'm talking September, October, whatnot. But, oh, wow. yeah, it is roughly that month. That month I thought it was out, to be honest. No, no, the Scorpio is not out Is it yet. just a slim version that's out right now? Yes, the Xbox, oh, okay. One, the Xbox One S. Um, See, that's what's confusing me, the Xbox One S and then Xbox Scorpio. Well, the Xbox One S is really good because it streams and it already plays a blue, you know, 4K Blu-ray and it streams 4K. So For all of us that have 4K yeah, TVs, and it's, of it's been available as low as this Black Friday pe period and this holiday period, 249 yeah. So when the Scorpion comes out, how much better is it going to be? And for the average consumer, again, like we've talked to before, talked about before, why are we going to have to need to get a Scorpio if we already have a great gaming experience? I don't already? think we will. I think anybody that doesn't have it that's looking for a purchase option will either hold off if it's only three months away. And it's going to be and, several teraflops worth of power and yeah. all this, so, which means to me a higher price. And if they have it right around even $400, $500, that still is going to be concerning because then we have a situation like we had with the PlayStation 3 where it just came out at too high of a price. Yeah, and I, I don't know anybody that's going to be the hardcore gamer. What game isn't going to run on the current version? And why, is Xbox really going to divide its audience yeah, I mean, by offering games that are only for the you know top 10%? No, and it won't because, like, for instance, Crackdown 3, which is also scheduled to be in 2017 release, uh, something I'm looking forward to with the great destruction. Yes, it will look better on the Scorpio. It's going to be presented as looking best on the Scorpio. But that doesn't mean someone with a regular, you know, the original Xbox One or someone with the Xbox One S still won't have a great time in playing. Yeah, I mean, and I, I look at something like their Pro Controller that's 150 bucks. I don't know too many people that have paid for it. I know a couple people that have reviewed it and gotten one and they say it's great. But $150 great? Unless you're like an, a really high-end gamer. A pro yeah, gamer I mean, maybe if eSports comes to Xbox and, you know, it becomes like, uh, 
you know, the go-to platform for something like that where precision is just that important. But until then, I don't know. So, so with all that said, and we've talked about some games already that are that we're looking forward to in 2017. I'm hoping Red Dead Redemption 2 also uh, has a chance to to be a 2017 release. We don't know because you know, with when you're talking about Rockstar, they're very secretive about whether they're going to be where it stands, where the game is coming out. Hopefully, we'll know by E3 2017 where if it's going to be a 2017 release. But if that game comes out. Did you play Red no, Dead? No, I haven't played those. You didn't play RDR? No. My goodness. I know, a, I'm behind the times. That's another vast universe that you need to explore because it's just... This a, word need gets thrown a lot, around a lot in the world of video games. Yes, well, you should. Play. What I need in the world of video games is time. There you go, fair enough. That That's probably the most important thing. But Red Dead Redemption 2 is something, again, that a lot of people like myself are looking forward to. A great experience was the previous version and I'm looking forward to Red Dead Redemption 2 when it finally comes out hopefully in 2017 as well so that's a lot of great titles that are coming out in 2017 but uh, your final thoughts on 2017 what you're looking forward to maybe the systems as a whole um, any games or, or what is it you're looking forward to as a gamer besides time on playing games in 2017. Just a memorable experience that lasts longer than the period that I'm playing. Um, I still think of South Park, uh, the stick of truth. So I'm obviously excited for the fractured butthole, but I just hope it's unique enough with still sticking to the same tropes that made the original awesome. And if they nail the humor like they did in the first one, it's the only game we'll honestly need to play next year. I agree. Because it, it was enough. Yeah. <laughs> That, that'll take, a, what, 30, 40, 50 hours of gameplay right there. Well, the first one was only 20 hours, right? So I have no idea how long this one's going to be. Right. So in 20 hours is, is just the perfect length for me. I can you know play for an hour a day, maybe a little less to do a mission and be done in a month and still get uh, complete satisfaction out of it. Uh, indeed, indeed. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for us here on uh, this episode of Pop Culture Cosmos. Pop! Culture Cosmos. That's right. Pop Culture Cosmos indeed. If you get a chance, make sure you today you check out all the great stuff that's going on with RobMcCallumFilms.com. Once again, Rob, not only just the great deal they can get on Nintendo Quest, but but exactly what's going on with RobMcCallumFilms.com. we got lots going on, of course. 20% off through the holidays for Nintendo Quest on Blu-ray, and that includes the series sequel follow-up, Nintendo Quest Power Tour, eight episodes, nine on the disc, lots of good stuff to check out there. 20% off with promo code NQ20, as in 20% off at checkout. There are ads up on our on our Facebook page, so check that out, Rob McCallum Films, and on the Nintendo Quest page. Uh, we just got a lot going on, and we're going to be shooting the Henshin Engine documentary very soon, a nice short 30-minute documentary or so. Big shout-out for Henshin Engine. So that'll be good, and uh, I just uh, um, looks like I got brought on to do a project that's very much the video game version of Clerk. So it'll be an actual narrative or a story um, with our good friends at Warp Zone. So we're going to start crafting that, and hopefully shoot in about September or October of next year in the Columbus area. So. That'll be fun crafting that over the next five months as a script and then getting the production ready to do that. Uh, definitely looking forward to that indeed. Uh, and also as well, I want to make sure everybody out there gets a chance to to take a look at uh, Retro City Games on Facebook. Why particularly? Because, well, first off, Douglas and Nicole rock. They're awesome. They're They're the gaming gurus here in Southern Nevada. Not just Southern Nevada, Carson City. <laughs> All in Nevada. Laughlin. Yeah, there you go. there's some competition for Retro City Games in Laughlin. There you go. It's a little on the edge, but I think Retro City Games still got.
If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. First off, uh, thank you for actually coming to interview us. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No, it was my yeah, pleasure. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah. So I just have a couple of questions, uh, kind of just regarding you yourself and also the event. Um, sure. So for the first one, um, what brought you out here actually to check in the fire? Like, how did you find out about it? Why did it interest you to actually be involved? Um, well, uh, it was first brought up to me by my management team. Uh, they were really excited about it, and they wanted me to participate. And they kind of told me a little bit about it, but. Um, I think the reason I chose to compete, I mean, besides obviously trying to, you know, win money, uh, is that this is actually kind of a, a big deal. Um, being able to do sort of an, an esports event that mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily have to wrap around really serious competition and very, you know, skilled players, right. I think is sort of a, a novel idea, and I think that it can be entertaining. Um, I, the idea that personalities can get together and have like their own little fun competition and that be fun to watch is important, you know. And I think that that is a bit different than what people are used to seeing, where you get like League of Legends teams, you know, these crazy esports guys that have been practicing eight mm -hmm. hours a day. It's this total opposite spectrum where it's like some goofy guys and girls that love to get in front of people and have fun. And you know, we do have some more competitive people, you know, there. But for the most part, we're here to have fun. And we're here to do our best, and and uh, I think that the the implications of that are exciting. So I wanted to be kind of part of that, kind of the beginning of that. So if this does take off, uh, which I think it will, um, you know, we can see more events like this uh, where it doesn't have to be so serious all the time and like these crazy events. It can just be fun. So awesome. Yeah, that would actually be the same. Uh, I mean, I only recently found out about this myself probably like less than a week ago. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of something interesting and I was given the opportunity to like come here and I'm like, oh wow, mobile games as an eSport, that's, that's different. So. It is different, but I, I, think, I think that the fact that they're not trying to make it serious lends itself to the casual audience, right? Right, and that's, so, that's, and that's, that's, that's where it leads into. Exactly, so uh, again, it's, it's, it's really interesting actually. Um, yeah, so yeah. Awesome, awesome. All right, in that case, um, so I guess, in regards to yourself, what, how did you get into video games, and was that in any way, shape, or form helped you like start your own channel, like when you first actually started it? Oh well, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not much different than most of these guys. I mean, I started gaming when I was, you know, two or three years old, literally. I mean, my dad had an old school black and white Macintosh. And, you know, the kind that has, like, the monitor and the computer all in one, yeah, and it's like, about this tall. So it was, like, the Apple system? Yes, yeah, wow, yeah, yeah, like, back in the day. And I used to play games like Dark Castle and Apache 5.0 and Art of War, or Ancient Art of War, like, these old games. And I remember my dad, I mean, seeing my dad playing some of them and me wanting to do everything my dad did. So I was like, let me try, you know, at three years old. And my dad's like, you're not going to understand this. You know? <laughs> uh, and so, like, I jumped on there, and within a week or two, I had beaten. You know, one of the games, and my, my parents thought I was a genius because this is when like computers first started out. You know, yeah, so, like, exactly. They were like, "What do we have here? <laughs> some, some computer genius." 
uh, which is not the case. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, and from there on, I just was obsessed with games. I was so obsessed, my parents wouldn't let me have a console until I was, like, 14. The console stayed oh, yeah. at, at Grandma's house. So, like, at my Grandma's house, they had, like, Nintendo and Sega and, like, stuff right. like that. I was allowed to have my Macintosh until games became obsolete on Macintosh because, you know, kind of flipped over to PC. Mm-hmm. And my dad got a gateway PC for uh, his business. And I, would, oh, nice. and I would jump on it and load my PC games. I was so excited. But he was like, this is a business PC. You can't do this. So I would sneak in all the time. He would, oh, I, would, nice. I would literally download games, play them, and then uninstall them before he got home. So he didn't know I was playing on his PC. Uh, but yeah, I think that kind of transi- transition, uh, transitioned over to EverQuest when I was about... You know, I guess about 12 or 13 years old, EverQuest. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, the first online game I played was uh, Warcraft 2 through TCP slash IP uh, connection. So I used to be part of like a clan and we would have sanctioned matches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like 11, you know. Um, but I loved it. And uh, it was a fun time. But then I went to EverQuest, played EverQuest all through my teens. Yeah. My grades suffered tremendously for it. <laughs> uh, and then it's just been MMOs and all sorts of variety games after that. I love, I love all games. It's, well, I can't say all games, except for... I think the only thing I don't jump into is like car games, like racing games. Cars have never really interested me. So okay. like Forza and stuff yeah. like that. I don't really play those much. But pretty much anything else, I'm good to go. So, awesome. Yeah. And so, like I said, did that help you actually, like, start your channel, like, your gaming channel? Yes, yeah, it did. I, I do well in certain games, and I think that it's definitely been because of the history of gaming that I've done. I understand systems, I understand mechanics, I understand, you know, in my opinion, what makes a good game, what makes a bad game, and be able to explain that, you know, in, in such a way than just saying, I think it's dumb, you know. I can say, I don't like it, and this is why, you know, and I can reference other games and other, you know, right, things exactly. That, exactly, so it definitely because people, you know, they, they call us influencers, right? It's because people listen to what we say. We're in front of them and we give our opinion about a game and then, you know, sometimes people won't purchase a game unless one of us recommends it or plays right. it a lot. They want to see us having fun with it. Um, so yes, my, my history in games have made that a lot easier because I can articulate to them exactly what I'm feeling, exactly what I like exactly what I don't like, and that makes it good for them um, because then they have a better uh, understanding of what they're getting into with purchases, which is extremely important for some people because a lot of people are on a budget and a lot there's a lot of early access trash out yeah. there, <laughs> and you got to be careful, you know. So um, yeah, yeah, and I think that's the good thing about uh, you guys as uh, influencers for like a new medium such as YouTube that's been around only for a decade and providing feedback for other people to. Like consider purchasing decisions or maybe getting into new genres or something new yep. that they can start on their own. Yeah, and they get to and they get to kind of see the game in its entirety before that you know if they want to before they jump. Yeah, in. Exactly. that's cool too. I think it's it's a it's a it's a double edged sword, right? I think for those of us who understand what kind of implications and responsibility this has, I think we try very hard to stay as genuine as possible because it's important to me and also a lot of other broadcasters that we don't lose that credibility. So it's it's kind of this weird balance where you want to grow your audience and you want to you know have sponsors and you want to do this and mm-hmm. stuff, but you also want to remain organic. So yeah, it's, exactly. it's it's this really it's it, it is a balance yeah. and everybody has their threshold. Um, so you know on one end on the you know 
on the end of, of the people, you know, there's streamers that take great care and the sponsors they take in and the games they play and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Um, but then on the other end, some of these guys are taking advantage of that too, you know, and it's, and we, we survive on integrity, you know, oh, and over so the last year, especially this year, we've seen a lot of integrity breakdowns of, you know, big time streamers. Um, so it's, it's a good thing as long as uh, broadcasters keep things in perspective, I think. Um, I would never want to lose that integrity because, you know, at that point, what are we good for people? They can't trust a word we say. Are we paid to say this? Are we not paid right, to say exactly. this? Right, so, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's um, again, it's, 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 a, it's a very cool thing. Uh, I just hope that, you know, most people realize what they have in their channels and how much people really listen to them and they don't get too greedy. <laughs> so. okay, yeah, and hopefully that never happens to you or to any, pretty much anyone now with that. No, nah, man, I'm going to sell out real quick. No. <laughs> <laughs> the first million dollar deal that oh, comes through, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but cool, cool. But uh, actually, that leads into my next question then, as, and it, which would be, um, where do you see YouTube coming in five years into the future? See, I mostly stream on Twitch, so I don't really, I mean, YouTube I use is almost like a, like a library or like a catalog of my streams mm -hmm. or highlights and stuff. So, uh, I mean, a YouTube, I'm, I'm not sure. I know, uh, I'm not really in the YouTube space very much. So how about um, Twitch then? Okay, so, uh, um, it's very difficult to say because it's the Wild West right now and things like this are... You know, it's kind of again novel ideas that are being explored. You know, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. You know, maybe uh, this will be completely different in two years. But I really love broadcasting. I really love that. So what I'm hoping for in ten years is that I just have enough to provide for me and my family, and I'm able to put on a really fun show for people, and uh, I'm able to connect uh, on the internet with people all over the world. Like that's important to me. Um, along the way, I would. Definitely love to grow my business. You know, everybody everybody wants to be successful. And oh, wants of course. To, you know, they want to uh, give back to you know community. Most people do. So um, charity, I hope, becomes a big part, and it has already in Twitch. Yeah, what I'm exactly. hoping is that into the future that that charity just is synonymous. You know, I, I want that to be a big thing too. So um, so yeah, ten years from now, I'm hoping to honestly still do what I do, just at a higher level. You know, and always get better at, at my content and uh, my show and my broadcast, and just keep getting better. And to, I mean, maybe something will pop up later. Who knows? Virtual reality might come out. It might be a, a whole other landscape of things to explore. Oh, but, but for right now, you know, I, I'm I'm very content. I think that that Twitch has made a lot of really good moves. I think they're learning very quickly. I think they listen to us. They listen to us and they talk to us and they have us come out and they. They take feedback, and they're very good about communication. I feel like Twitch, as a business, is so personal to me. Uh, like um, DJ Wee, um, who's one of the one of the, the hotshots over there, uh, he takes time out of his day, you know, to like if he sees a tweet that I might throw out that looks a little bit pressure, he'll hit me up. Are you okay, man? You know, talk to me. You know, that kind of thing. Whereas opposed to YouTube, I see a lot of YouTubers, I talk to a lot of YouTubers because there's a lot of crossover there, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, YouTubers um, kind of have the opposite reaction. Like, YouTube is here and they're here, and there's so much miscommunication going on between them uh, with, the, with the content changes. And just recently, wasn't there like a sub leaking bug or something? Uh, you know? Yeah, I heard, about, I literally heard about that like, like two hours ago. Yeah. Like, so like some of the big YouTubers lost. A lot of the friend subs, um, 
other like content people who lost more of their stuff, or even those that are just watching uh, videos on YouTube, have so, stuff. So I know that's that's been like one of YouTube's biggest problems. So the uh, difference here is that if that were to happen on Twitch, we they have people we can reach out to immediately and talk to and get answers from and and have that that sort of uh, open dialogue. Whereas on YouTube, from what I've heard, there's not a medium for that. You know, and so um, you know, I, I mean. I don't know where YouTube's going, but I think Twitch has a really good head on its shores. I think they take care of their content uh, creators. I think they understand how important we are to them, and uh, and they they are very good to us. So um, I think Twitch is a really healthy business. I think it's going to remain a healthy business. I have no reason to think otherwise, and neither did stats. So uh, that's a great answer. But you never know. You never know. <laughs> yeah, the only tells us so much. Yes. <laughs> yes. So. Well, actually, you actually answered my last question as well. Uh, pretty much, where do you see yourself? You know, five years from now. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, I see myself, you know, at my house and with my family and doing a broadcast in my office. That's just what I'm. Building on your brand. Just keep building on my brand and, and having fun and getting to meet cool people and being able to provide, you know, uh, you know, hours and hours, hundreds of hours and thousands of hours of entertainment for people. You know, so that's. Exciting for me. Uh, it's what I love to do. All right, awesome. So, with that regard, it was great talking with you. Oh, yeah, no, uh, on behalf of Pop Culture Cosmos, we really appreciate you talking to us. Yeah, no problem. And letting us know how you felt about this and you as yourself as a content creator, how you feel everything is going forward with the industry and for yourself. Yeah, well, thank you. No, I, thanks for having me. Uh, thank you. Yep. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. That's a that's a conversation for another day as far as reaching that type of uh, that type of game with that type of audience, and that's something I think we should deal with here on the show coming up in a, in a future episode. I, I agree. Because um, it's been a long-standing problem. One of the biggest issues is um, the, the culture here in the U.S. That, you know, has been established where you have people... In, in Japan, a lot of times the handheld games cost just as much as the full console releases because they're considered full games. Yeah. So in the U.S., when you discount that, it's tough for a publisher to put a lot of money into it when they're already taking a 30% hit just on the retail. Yeah. So they can sell a game in Japan for $50, $60, and here it comes out 30 or 40 That's a big difference, especially when you're talking about all that time and money to rework it for a U.S. audience. So that's why a lot of them like, keep getting pushed back and pre-orders because they're working on these skeleton crews and would rather just push it back than not put it out at all. You know what I mean? It's Well, there is a following here in the U.S. for Japanese games as a whole, but they don't seem... I don't know. Sometimes it just seems, like you said, it, it you think it's going to be larger than what it is, and then when it ultimately hits the market, it just doesn't seem to translate into the numbers that you, you would expect. And I, I think, like I said, I think that's when you put it on like consoles like the, the Vita and things like that. I mean, I, I feel... It started in the PlayStation 3 era, era where people were like, I'll buy a PS3 when there's the JRPGs that I want. And there were still games selling on the PS2 after the PS3 was out. And I think we kind of hit that same thing here where there were RPGs coming out, but not the kind of RPGs people wanted to play. Yeah. So I think a lot of people were still stuck on the PS3 for all these great RPGs they wanted. But when a new PS4 RPG comes out, people don't buy it because I feel like 
consoles now are sold to the masses on the backs of shooters and on the backs of these big action games, the Uncharted, the Call of Duties, the Halos, you know what I mean? They really drive console sales. And the, those niche, those majority, I guess majority niche markets, if there aren't 10 RPGs to play, they don't care. So I think a lot of people get into it late to go back and play those games. But it suffered, and new game sales suffer because of it. What do you think they can be done to maybe liven that, that genre up to make it more attractive to a larger audience? I think something like... How do I say it? If Final Fantasy was a launch title, and they would actually show... Uh, the amount of people I talk to, and they go, Oh, Final Fantasy, I'm like, are you excited for the new one? No, I'm not really into like turn-based. It's action RPG. And people go, holy crap. But you watch the trailers and stuff, and they don't show combat, they don't show all that, and people... I think the audience, the casual audience, has no idea that RPGs cannot be turn-based. Because even myself, I like action RPGs over turn-based. I yeah. play turn-based, but I'm much more of an action RPG. Even like Tales of, I get so many people into the Tales of series because I'm like, oh, they're pretty much like a, a modified action RPG of the arena type of style thing. And people buy them and they love them because it's just like playing an, an action game yeah. with, a, with a skill tree. And Nino Kuni, another one like that that... People people overlook because they go, oh, it's just another. But that was jam- a surprise hit. It to was. An extent. It was, but it, I feel the second one's going to sell so much better than the first because people now. Oh, that know. didn't. Well, no, it didn't. People, huh? The second, second yeah, one didn't. didn't. Say it, That's what I'm saying. I, I wished it had, but I felt like that was going to be the case, and I think it's part of the same problem. It's just companies, Sony's the worst at it, informing the customer. The, the casual person showing them this is what it is and this is why it's like that instead of just pumping everything out on a name maybe a thought is to maybe to bundle them together maybe yeah. t- instead of taking you know saying to these Japanese developers hey you're not going to be able to sell it in mass at a full price just by itself so maybe if you partner yourself up with maybe some other JRPC, JRPGs and within the same realm or whatnot, maybe two or three together in a bundle and just going out at that, maybe that that could garner at least a little bit more marketing power, but also as well mo- more notoriety and better value for customers here in the U.S. That just happened uh, with uh, Yomawari and crap. What was the other game? Yomawari uh, um, Night Alone, the the collector's edition, uh, comes with two games on one on one cart. Okay. So that that same idea where. They knew the one game wouldn't stand on its own, so they bundled it with the other and charged a little bit more. So instead of the standard, most collector editions on the Vita are sixty bucks, as opposed to the forty for the standard game. This one was eighty, but it came with two games plus all the collector stuff. So I, I agree that might actually be a really good thing. They do it with shooters, look at like the Bioshock series, or you see Ubisoft releasing another you know, greatest hits type thing. Why not do it with RPGs? Uncharted I agree. Collection and whatnot that that sold strongly at first when it came out because people were, that hadn't played it. Uh, wanted to get into the series. The same thing, like I said, would would go for this as far as with three, you know, decently or, or quality rated G, or JRPGs coming out from Japan, bundled together, maybe getting a better uh, distributor here for the U.S. or somebody that's going to put some money into it. Maybe that's a better package to sell to consumers. Well, we also see, you know, the trend for a while was JRPGs didn't sell very well. They were that niche group. And so a lot of them come here and they are limited quantities. I mean, look at look at Xenoblade, the first Xenoblade. It was a GameStop exclusive, and they couldn't keep it in stock. Yeah. To the point where they were reprinting the game, opening it, and selling it for more. Yeah. I mean that that kind of demand. So, uh, 
I, I think it's part of just that, that limited availability that some people don't want to get into it because it is kind of expensive. Yeah. Even look back, I mean, you start buying PS1, PS2, and like even some PS3 RPGs are starting to creep up. It's an expensive thing to get into. So if you're not if you're not in on it the second it comes out, they don't sit on store shelves for a year. They no. don't end up in the, the $20 section at Best Buy and Walmart because there weren't enough copies made. So And it's weird because we see that from big companies like Square where we don't see... You know, games like Final Fantasy 15. I, I guarantee six months later, it'll be hard to find that game new, even though it's a Final Fantasy game. I mean, you already see, uh, what is it, the HD collection has been That I may disagree with you on, because I yeah. think that's going to go, I think that's going to be trying to push big. I think there's so much of a development issue and development cost, which we're going to get into with The Last Guardian. Um, I think that it, it just they need to go ahead and push that out with commercials and whatnot. So six months, you will be able to still find that. Even like the um, the, the HD collection um, that they, they put out. Well, that's that, different. Well, that, I'm saying that, 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 that pulled off shelves and then came back. They did another production run, and now it's in like the $20 bins. But there was a good there was a good while you couldn't find that game. Okay. But 15 I might have to disagree with you on, because I think okay. they, they're targeting that as a AAA game. I'm, like I said, I'm just worried it's going to sell like a AAA game. I don't know if it will. I think you'll have the hardcore fan base go out and buy it. I don't know if it'll get new people into the series. Because we haven't seen... Like I said, we haven't seen any... Final Fantasy has this problem with... And a lot of JRPGs advertising with cutscenes and story. and They don't advertise with gameplay. And, you know, when, when you have games like, you know, Ninja Gaiden 2 <laughs> outselling Final Fantasy games that, that uh, generation. When it's similar gameplay, that's... that's, that's really weird <laughs> well yeah because they, they have to approach when they're advertising and marketing this to a different base they have to market it towards that base and they can't market it use the same marketing strategies and campaigns that they used in japan here it's a similar thing to europe you have to use a different marketing strategy when you go and market to europe than way you, the way you would in the u.s because the the tastes as far as the consumers as far as they're different than what they are in each region yeah, and it's it's. I don't think they've done a good job of that because, like I said, I, just for me on this side of the counter, a lot of people come in and have no clue how this game or that game plays because the the customer is lazy. They're not gonna. Most people, if they hear about a game and they go, "Eh, I, it doesn't look like it doesn't look like something I play," based off that cutscene or based off the commercial, they're not gonna go check out. You know, oh, how's the gameplay? Most people don't do that. Yeah. But if they see the commercial and they go, oh, that looks kind of cool, then they'll go look at it for a second and go, yeah, I want to play this. Definitely. But if you don't grab them in that that first impression, a lot of people are just done with it. And then, unfortunately, the internet. They hear a couple people say the same thing they do, and all of a sudden, that's the majority opinion, and it's over. And I... I, Like I said, because... Maybe it's just because of the retro market we're in. I mean, people really want... RPGs. That's what I mean. RPGs are a huge thing, obviously. Yeah. But newer RPGs don't sell that well. And yeah. then a year later, they jump in price because everybody wants them. So I mean, I agree with you. I, I think it does. You see it a lot on eBay and whatnot. So they go onto the the black market and and the prices skyrocket from there, depending on the the accessibility of the actual game. Well, yeah, I think it's just because later down the road, more people realize, oh, this probably was a good game because more people were saying it was. So I want to try it now. And they have no problem paying that $60, $70, $80 premium for that game they could have picked up for 50 or 60 or even 20 at certain times Exactly. because of that. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's great points indeed. Uh, so that was a, uh, a little bit of extra Sorry, there. Yeah. No, <laughs> that was tangent. great. But Retro City Games has a large community as well. They've got a, a massive audience that, that 
interacts with each other on a daily basis and also interacts with Nicole and Doug on a, well, more than a <laughs> daily basis, I can assure you. So they're, they're great indeed. So check it out, Retro City Games on Facebook, the leaders in video gaming right here in Southern Nevada. So for Rob McCallum, Douglas Hoyabu, this is Gerald Glasker. I want to thank you again for listening to us and watching us again. We appreciate it. It's another beautiful day in paradise, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day. <laughs>